0: Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, Dead or Dennis Maller, interview artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And today on the program, I actually reconnect with an old high school friend, a guy who graduated a few years ahead of me. He had a very uh, interesting and exciting career as a clown and now as a comedy juggler and, of course, as a father. His name is Brian Fulton, better known on stage as Brian Dangerous. Uh, it was a good, fun talk with him. Uh, before we get into the interview, though, let's talk about a couple things going on in my wife because why not? Uh, this was a hard interview to do. Physically. I don't usually... I mean, oh, what's physically difficult about a podcast? Well, d- doubtful listener. Uh, what's difficult is uh, I just had, a few weeks ago, just had surgery. Uh, and it's very difficult getting around, moving and breathing and stuff like that, especially breathing. So what happened uh, is I had not one, but two gigantic abdominal hernias, one umbilical, one not umbilical, uh, and, uh, growing out of my stomach. And, um, all right, before I get, let's talk about this. I, uh, these hernias showed up in 2018 and they've been a humongous source of anxiety for me. Um, I am not a vain person. I don't like to think that I am, but sometimes certain physical attributes get the better of me and my, and my mental health. And these herniers were one of them. Well, granted, I will say, I did quite enjoy making TSA agents very uncomfortable every time. They'd be like, hey, what's under your shirt there? I'm like, my insides, and I'd lift up my shirt, and they'd see a the giant bulge from my stomach, and then they'd get freaked out and weird, and I'm like, do you want to touch it? They're like, oh girls, no, get out of here, leave me alone, stop! I did quite take a lot of enjoyment in making TSA and doormen feel uncomfortable, but... Uh, Everywhere else, I was very uncomfortable about it. It was very unsightly. was stood out both uh, literally and figuratively. Uh, And being already overweight, it just made me look massively, grossly, way more overweight. You know, and I did everything I could to, to hide it, and it still made me uncomfortable for a very great number of years. And this was a very long, enduring process to get to the point where this surgery can fix it. We'll find out if it actually did fix it or not. Uh, I mean, I look, you know, I look down my stomach and I see just my stomach. I don't see an extension of my stomach. We'll see if it holds up. Uh, but I'm in a lot of pain. And I really sometimes forget how much of my life I speak from the diaphragm, you know, which is right there in that area every time that moves. Like, for the first five days, I could not muster up enough air to push out words. I would open my mouth to talk. And then come out. Nothing would come out because I didn't have enough air in me to push out words. It's very uh, frightening when you have made your entire life's career about your words and you saying them. I'm not a writer. I'm a performer. I'm a comedian. I'm a podcaster. I'm an interviewer. I am a talker. I'm a storyteller. I need my words and my breath to express myself to other people. Tie my hands together. I don't care. I'll still be able to talk. I'm not Italian. I am Italian, but I'm not that Italian. (laughs) So I had this interview with Brian uh, while it's 95 and like 80% humidity here in Boston in my studio. Uh, If you can hear a fan running in the background, it's because I don't have air conditioning down here and it's hot. So deal with the sound of the fan. Deal with it. You probably have... Similar noise going on somewhere, wherever you are at, listening to this right now. It just becomes part of the atmosphere. But anyway. So, incrementally, every day, I'm getting a little more better. Breathing better. Being able to talk without getting winded. Being able to talk. You know, I can stand up and down. still can't lift things. It's very crucial that I do not do any real physical activity. Especially lifting, pushing, pulling. coming down in this studio to record a conversation was a little trying in a very hot heat. If You're a longtime listener. You know that I have a heart condition. The heat does affect me drastically with me and being fatigued. So being overheated and in pain and barely able to breathe and talk. Well, that made a conversation difficult. Luckily, my guest, Brian Fulton was able to handle his side of the conversation and tell us very, uh, succinctly and uh, fairly eloquently what life of being a clown was when he worked with Bottom and Bailey Circus. He went to clown college. I hadn't heard of, well, I heard of clown college. I didn't know clown college was a real thing until Brian went to it. So he, he dispels a lot of myths about being a clown. He tells us the real life incident, what it's like being in the circus, the biggest circus. And then, you know, the, the dangers and fears of going out in the world of clowning and entertainment alone by yourself without the world's biggest entertainment entity behind you. We talk about that. We talk about some social media. We talk about transitioning as he's getting older. How his act is changing. It's a very interesting conversation, I think. I hope you find it is, too. Uh, Brian really opened up about a lot of things um, and it's, it's, it's funny because we were just guys at the same high school, a couple years apart uh, and then he went out and had this great, entertaining fascinating life I'm glad he shared it with me and he's going to share it with you so please enjoy my conversation with former clown and comedy juggler and father, Brian Fulton aka Brian Dangerous How, how much can you? I'm gonna leave the fan on if I need to filter it out. In it is way too hot down here for so me to not do this with the fan on. It's. Uh, Are you in a basement? Yeah, I'm in the only basement that had that is not cool at all. It is <laughs> hot and and humid down here all the time. It's more humid in here than it is outside in Boston. It's crazy.
1: That's where the moisture goes to die. Um. Uh, so all right, let's let's
0: go way back. All right, this is gonna be uh. A lot of this is going to be me telling you, uh, asking you to tell me the story of your life because uh, we don't, it's weird. All right. Here's the thing about memories. When it comes to like people, sometimes you just remember incidents and things. You remember everything about their lives. And sometimes you just remember that it happened or that you knew that person or feelings about the incident. You don't remember the incidents, but you, you remember your emotions about the, the incident. And you kind of fall in that last category where it's like, when I think about high school, I remember some few things in kindergarten, but I, what I really mostly remember is like, Brian is one of the coolest, most interesting people I know. <laughs> like, you really were like, you were the, you know, in my, you know, uh, my, my freshman year, you were, I think, a senior because I graduated, uh, you graduated what, 97 or 98? 96.
1: So, 96. Yeah. So
0: yeah, you graduated my freshman year. You're a year ahead of my brother, John.
1: Yeah, first year of the uh, the magnet program.
0: Yes, yes. that you weren't allowed in. <laughs> right,
1: but I auditioned everybody to get in. There.
0: <laughs> Which, by the way, Art, let's talk about that magnet program real quick because I was the first year of that magnet program, and I wanted there was three different parts of it that I tried to get into. Um, I tried to get into the regular visual arts program, um, and I filled out everything in the application, put the portfolio and everything together and I, uh, gave, I needed a recommendation from my middle school John, uh, General John Stricker art teacher. I needed her to give me a recommendation. I gave her the paperwork to fill out, and then she never did. She literally gave me the paperwork back two weeks after the, 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 the paperwork was due. She's was like, oh, here, I finally filled that out for you. I was like, cool, cool. Thanks. thanks. So that didn't get uh, turned in. Um, and then... I know I wanted to apply for vocal music and I wanted to apply for the theater program. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I, n- I never finished the application for the vocal music program, and I, but I finished everything th- for the theater program. I had to, you know, do a monologue and write down, you know, fell a whole form about your, your acting background and acting with your inspiration and stuff like that. I Did the whole paperwork, turned everything, gave it to my brother, John, who was going to the school at the time. He's like, here, can you go turn this in for me? Because at a, as a middle schooler, my classes started before the high school started and then mine went later. So it's like I would go to school before him and then get out of school after him. So I didn't have time to get to the school to turn this in. So I gave it to him. All right, He goes, to turn, you know, I was like, here, please turn this in for me. Just drop it off. And he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. I was like, hey, did uh, so like, I'm waiting to hear back from the thing. Did I say anything when he turned in? He goes, oh, no, I just threw that away. I'm like, why would you do that? It's like, because I don't like you. I'm like, why would you do that to me? Why? Like, he was part of the people who was mad about the program. He's like, I can't get in the program. You're not going to get in the program. Yeah. So, that, that, I, I was not a part of the official magnet program either because.
1: Total big brother dick move. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and is it any wonder him and I haven't talked in eight years? Anyway, oh now that the sad part of the <laughs> the podcast is over with, <laughs> that was the thing. I remember, Or so going back then, it's like, there's, I remember like, you're like in the gym class, telling always telling stories in the gym class and stuff like that. Um, I remember, uh, l- like the uh, sm- smell of the what is it? Smell of the grease, uh, smell of the crowd roar to the grease paint. Smell like going to see that play, and, play like. and just like, mm-hmm. oh, here's this dude that I thought was just a total meathead jock, actually is like an amazing actor and made me as a te- te- made me as a as a 15 year old kid cry out of the emotions, <laughs> you know? And then like yeah. you and John Shank did were like the jock actors like you're the big guys yeah. on the on the on the sports team but also like the big guys in the theater department and, and the acting and like doing real acting and heavy heavy work uh lift like do, as high schoolers doing real heavy lifting work on and the acting stuff and it was very inspirational i was like man i really that's that brian guy that's a cool thing and then of course what happens is you know you graduate you leave and then we're only left with the rumors that other people will tell us like yeah, for <laughs> years it to. was, it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, all the rumors of you was like, he went to Cowan college. He's, he works at Barnum and Bailey. He plays uh basketball at Lawrence Fishburne. He's going to be doing this movie and this and that. And you're like, wait, what things are real? What things are, cause none of it sounds possible. Like clown yeah. college. Well, let's start with that. Uh, because, uh, Oh, and then the only other incident that I really have of you is like after clown college, which I know you went to clown college, but we want to hear all about it. You came back to, uh, after Clown College came and hung out at wrestling practice one day. And this was when, like, the solidifies, like, Brian Fulton is one of the coolest people I've ever known in my entire life. You came in, you're sitting behind uh, our coach who's talking, and you're just goofing off. And you took your baseball cap, and you started balancing it on your nose. And yeah, we're all just yeah. in wonder, like, in shock, like, what is he th- That's amazing. Because, <clears throat> like, you can see so many juggler events or balancing acts or there's so many of these things that are just completely faked out. Like, I can buy things and be like, oh, look, it's balancing on my head, but it's a fake prop that straps your head. You know, like yeah. fucking uh, Gallagher had the hat that he would spin on his finger and it's just actually attached to a handle. Right. But this is a baseball cap. Like, this is the yeah. You're wearing, like, a Mets baseball cap. Is he really going to go through the effort of having a fake hat that can balance on its own and wear it all the time for the one incident? No. And this is what solidified it. You got up. And you walked over and you grabbed the only chair in the room and then you balance that chair on your chin. And you're like, wow, this, you really learned how to do something amazing. Cause again, can't be a prop chair. You didn't sneak in earlier that day, leave a fake chair there in hopes that you can later find <laughs> a reason to show everybody. There. Yeah. Right. So it's like, wow, you, this, you have, you, you left here and you got real skills and talent and yeah, stuff like I mean, that. that. Now, obviously it's cause you went to clown college, which sounds like a joke.
1: It does, and a lot of people didn't realize it's a real place. Uh, some people were like, are, are you kidding? Because I had I had a ton of scholarships when I graduated high school uh, for theater. I had uh, what was called the Maryland distinguished scholar of the arts, which was good for any college in Maryland. That um, was like close to $90,000 in scholarships. And uh, I chose to go to clown college, which, you know, it was, <laughs> my, my dad was, he was like, are you kidding me? He's like, really? Because I was planning on, I was planning on going to like either University of Maryland or Towson um, and and getting a BFA to teach theater. So uh, when I told him I was like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm kind of gonna take a break from school and, and and see what this clown college thing's all about. He was like, he, he was not on board. <laughs> he was just like, are you kidding me? So he actually made me pay for everything. He made me pay. It was it was like the school itself was tuition free, but um, to get down there, I did, it was like two months down in Florida, plane tickets, food, you know, rent, uh, things like that. So it ended up costing about three grand. Um, And so he's like, you're going to have to pay for it, you know. And I was slinging snowballs uh, for for years and working at Costa's, uh, you know, slinging crabs and stuff. I had (laughs) money saved up, but I was like, um, later on it ended up being the the best decision he had ever done as far as my career, uh, making me pay for it. Because um, about halfway through, I got real homesick and I wanted to come home. And he's like, yeah, you can come home, whatever you want to do, man. He's like, just remember, you paid for it, you know. And I'm like, oh, shit. That's right. I did pay for it. So that was uh, he loves to tell that story, too, about how, you know, how he made me pay for it. But yeah, I mean, Clown College is a real thing. Um,
0: How did you find out about Clown College? Because there's no way the way I heard about Clown College is because you went to Clown College.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, so it wasn't one of these things that I ever heard about. I never grew up like I. We seen the circus, you know. I came to the Baltimore Arena and things like that. We would go a couple times, but I never like longed to be a clown with Ringling Brothers Circus. Uh, it was never like my childhood dream, which is like well, a lot of a lot of the clowns like that's all they ever wanted to do was be a clown. So um, <clears throat> I was. I was like that meathead jock guy that was like kind of like you know loved theater as well. But like um, I think probably beginning of my senior year, Miss Powell, who's the theater teacher, Miss Powell Krosky, she um she gave me the flyer because the the show was coming to the baltimore arena usually in, in march we played um so she was like they send out to, to all the theaters around school the high schools and stuff like that um the audition flyer for for clown college and um she's like normally i just throw these away i get them every year she's like but this year i think uh you you know you're the first time i think that that you really are a good candidate so i'm like all right let me check it out like whatever it's it sounded cool like the circus um so i went to the baltimore arena i had to take off school my mom took me down there and there's a big long line it was probably like 50 or 60 people in line um to audition and i'm like you know what is it like people are juggling so i didn't know how to juggle i didn't have any like circus circus skills i mean i was good at improv and uh, i was like physical physical theater you know like slaps and falls and stuff i think i could probably you know walk my way through that without getting hurt but other than that it was just like i had this energy to like and, and it this like willingness to just do stuff <clears throat> so where I remember we're in line and like all these people are like practicing their juggling and stuff. My mom's looking at me like, I don't think this is going to be for you. And then I get in, you know, and everybody warms up. And it was really cool. It was like, you know, to be on the floor of the circus and like being on the floor of the arena and like looking up into the seats. And so it was, it was a really cool experience. And uh, and I, I, did, I, did, I guess I did really well that um, that audition. Um, and, and, and What did you how, have to do
0: in your audition? Since, since you didn't have any previous clowning experience, I mean, right. I'm... Nancy uh, or Miss Powell was an amazing theater teacher. Like she went, like you hear some people they talk about the Meisner method and they talk about uh, immersing yourself in character and they you know you you know uh, what 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 is it that Daniel Day Lewis does? Uh, and, uh, Stanislavski,
1: No.
0: Um, or, or Stanislavski's another method, yeah. but it's the you know like oh I'm in character all time even off set yeah. like that. You know some places oh, yeah. teach you straight that. Pal taught all of that. Method, like,
1: method acting, yeah. yeah.
0: method acting. She taught you all of that stuff. Like, in my experience with her, she was like, yeah. here's how some people do it. Here's how other people do it. And you hear a lot of people in acting classes like, oh, we spent an entire day for six hours just pretending we were trees, you yeah. know, or walking around you know, like she animals. Was, she did she was a lot of that deal. stuff. She
1: was the real deal. Uh, so, sure. like,
0: I'm sure you had the capability <clears throat> from her of doing, like, just physical silent acting. And stuff like that so what is it in a clown college audition did they ask you to do
1: well you know it's crazy like there um there it was that you can kind of like knowing now what like like just kind of what they were doing but but from that perspective as just a kid i didn't know what it's so i was just kind of listening they're like there was gonna be some improv first it was like a warm-up so everybody because you know f- uh, clowning is very physical so everybody had to like physically warm up and they would do this um warm-up routine kind of a little bit of cardio maybe like five five minutes of cardio but it was fun they were doing like 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 shaking your arms out and just being just all willy-nilly and then they kind of gave you they kind of gave you scenes where you're just walking around the the ring, and they would call things out, and they would be like, "Okay, now it's you're you're in um, on the moon, and, and there's the gravity's uh, you know zero gravity, and blah blah blah, and you're you know so you kind of float, and so they want to see how you move basically, hmm. um, and then they would just keep throwing things out, like, okay, now like you're you're a dog, and and blah blah blah. So so it would be kind of like like that kind of stuff, a lot of wow. improv, just a lot of improv stuff, and it was probably the whole audition itself was probably only about half an hour. And then um, it it was just like a lot of movement, a lot of like giving you scenarios like, okay, the guy at the very top of the arena is, you know, is eating his popcorn and you got to make them laugh. Like how they want to see if you can play real big. Um, So it was kind of cool perspective. It wasn't uh, necessarily like technical stuff. Um, And then at the end, they they said, if you had a skill, you could bring it, could show it like, you know, whatever. So I think I did like a backflip and a cartwheel, (laughs) like I didn't have any juggling stuff, you know, like, and uh But, uh, so, so it was like, and I didn't really think nothing of it. I was just like, Oh, okay, whatever. And then, um, the audition was over and probably about a week later, maybe two weeks later, the, uh, the director of clowning at the time, his name's Dick Monday. Great guy. Um, he was, uh, he he called my house. Dick Monday
0: sounds like he's the arch nemesis of Garfield.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) No, but he's a great guy. Um, and he, uh, he called my house and, uh, back in the back in the day when you had the phone attached to the wall and you know I'm like I'm talking to him and I'm he's like hey you know you did really well we want to he wasn't at that audition and he's like because he was watching video and stuff he's like I want to I want to invite you to audition in DC Um, because the circus had moved and it it was like at the MCI Center at that time which I don't know what it's called now but um, yeah we
0: just refer to it as the phone booth because yeah (laughs) it's only been owned by uh, phone companies companies,
1: MCI Sprint yeah so uh, he's like, he's like, can you can you come down? And I'm like, all right, well let me talk to my mom. You know, I'm 16, 17 years old, seventeen years old, I think. And uh, my mom gets on the phone, and she's like, my mom is like a hard ass, like hard as nails. She does not mess around. When it comes to the kids she's like and who is this and he's like oh hi you know blah, blah. he's explaining this whole thing and uh and he's like you know I, I just wasn't there so i want to see him in person and my hey, mom's uh, like,
0: hey <laughs> uh hey lady it's uh dick monday can kid yeah. can you bring your kid to come see me in dc like that yeah. does sound
1: very electric like yeah. coming he wants to be a clown <laughs> yeah. no. i'm um, gonna show him how some how to do some face painting but he's uh <laughs> no he's so, so he's he's, ta- he's talking to my mom and my mom's like you know giving him the ride actually she's like she's like well does he have a chance because I gotta take off of work, yeah. and he's gotta take off of school, and we gotta go all the way to D.C. and that's an hour trip, blah, 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 and, like, and I'm like, they're like, mom, you know, like, and, uh, uh, no, that's that like,
0: thundog for you, it's like, it was hey, so look, thundog. I gotta take off from work, Ooh, to yeah, take it, like, that's the kind of life that other people don't have to, like, yeah. tr- trust me, Towson kids' parents don't have to worry Ooh. about, hey, look, yeah. is this gonna be a waste of my time because I only have so much PTO to take right. care of my kids' future with.
1: Yeah, yeah. My mom went total Dundalk on him, and he's like, "Oh yes, ma'am." You know, like I, I would, I wouldn't be calling if he didn't have a shot, and I just that's why I want to see him in person and blah. So long story short, we we ended up going to D.C. for the callback, and I was a lot more comfortable because I knew kind of what the procedure was. And then like I, I remember there was a there was a split second uh, of of I knew exactly when I, I made it. I, I was like I, I got this. You know, there's no question in my mind. My mom was there too, and she saw it, and um, she's like. Uh, they were doing something like everybody's like uh, walking on fours, like be you know doing something, and they, and they switched to like okay, be a cow, you know. Now we want you everybody to be a cow, so everybody's like you know walking or just mooing and stuff like that. And I immediately just went like I was tipped and I was like couldn't get up, you know. And I and I knew like they, everybody was crying, they were laughing because I was like you know really selling it and I was like trying to pull at people and stuff. They went nuts, and uh, I knew like the the director was laughing, the clowns were laughing, and my mom was like that. She's she's like I have to start preparing myself for you to be in a circus because you definitely got it. and then sure enough um he he called me when I uh when I was down in uh when I was down in ocean in in senior week and uh he called my house first to tell me that I was accepted and um and uh he <laughs> My mom called up, and you know, I was there with like you know Todd and the Amaze and things like that. You know, so so we were out, we were doing a lot of stuff, and uh, and I, I remember telling everybody at the at the condo, I'm like, guys, if a guy named Dick Monday calls, it's serious. <laughs> Don't be a jerk. You know, like let me have the call. <laughs> like trying to explain to the WI crew, that, you know, to be serious for a minute. while everybody's like, you know, eighty four Millers lights in, and um, but yeah, he called me, and then he's like, you know. I just wanted to tell you you were accepted to clown college you know blah 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 and he could tell that i was probably a little intoxicated he's like i'm gonna give you another call in about a week when you can actually remember this conversation and i was like okay great man great so yeah so that's when uh i knew i was accepted it was pretty cool
0: wow that's it's that that, i love the tipping of the cow thing because that shows at a young age that you're like oh i need to stand apart of the others and do something completely different which clearly obviously worked in your benefit and that's really what so much of our industry is at least especially me as a comedian yeah so much of my industry is always having to be original having to have that thought that no one else is going to have and being yeah. able to express it in a way that nobody else is g- going to do and it is that sh- separates <laughs> the best artists from uh, the others is who can be an individual who can be original who can be And i don't want to say different because sometimes that comes out the wrong way everyone thinks that oh i'm being different i'm going to shuck the norm no what you need to do is create the norm. you know take the norm and do it in an original fashion
1: yeah Um, because i mean you know too from doing comedy like uh in the entertainment industry everything's been done like everything mm -hmm. has been done every scenario has been played out um and it's okay to take those scenarios but you got to make them your own and that's that's really what like clowning was about too and like you know by the time I joined, it was like, you know, year 300 of the circus or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it's like everything's been done. Every, like, gag has been written and, and, and done. But <clears throat> that was our job is to take it and either modernize it or make it our own, put our own twist on it. And then it's, you know, then it's comedy, you know, It's then it's yours. So what is it that you
0: learned at cl- Clown College? Because you're an amazing juggler, you're an amazing balancer. <clears throat> like, did you, after the auditions like all right, I get, like, did you do any prep going at the Clown College? Did they give you things that you should work on? Because juggling is yeah. not a skill that you could just pick up. Right. It takes it, it takes practice. A yeah. lot of practice. Like, The only reason I could juggle a couple of lemons and lines because I've worked at a lot of really slow restaurants where I taught myself how to juggle lemons and lines. Right. I can't juggle anything else other than lemons and lines and things the size of lemons and lines because that's all I had
1: to juggle. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much the same. I didn't like I I didn't have any actual like circus skills, um, going into it. So I did, they did encourage us to, to at least have a, a foundation in juggling. Um, just, just try to learn. So I did, I grabbed one of those juggling complete klutz kits and, uh, practice for a little bit. So going in, I could almost juggle three balls for like, you know, a minute straight, but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the Clown College was basically like boot camp. It was <clears throat> a lot of people don't think it's like this like cushy thing. Like it was, it was hardcore. Uh, these people, it 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 really, it it was like I, and boot camp is the only thing I can kind of mm. compare it to. I've never been in the service, but like uh, it was eight weeks of solid six and a half days a week, and then, like we had off Sunday afternoon to like go grocery shopping, and that was pretty much it. So it was. Uh, starting six or you know seven o'clock in the morning uh, you, you get up and you stretch and blah 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 by eight o'clock we are in the, the, the arena or the then it was uh, the Sarasota Opera House we were in the theater um, and we, we were doing uh, calisthenics in the morning stretching and, and, and working out we had uh, acrobatics class we had Falls class we had um, like a gymnastics teacher that used to be on the Chinese national team like it was it was crazy because we had all these things. Uh, and just eight weeks to kind of put this big show on for the producers. So it was like we were doing juggling class. We were doing makeup class. We were doing, we were learning um, circus history. We were learning um, just, uh, we would have uh, guests, speakers and and other people that were like clowns and and stand-up comedians. And, different like huge heavyweights in the in the industry coming in and doing like specialty workshops tons of improv classes like um tons of scene work uh and then and we would be like going in between uh doing all these like going to the costume department for fittings for our costume and learning our designs and stuff. so it was it was nuts for eight and a half weeks i think um almost nine weeks because after the after the graduation show in eight weeks we had um, another couple of like charity shows we did there. And then we, we all took a bus from Sarasota to DC uh, and we were playing the Wolf Trap Children's Festival. Uh, and like like the Counting Bob from Sesame Street was like the host and stuff. So we did this big like international festival there too. So all in all, it was like nine weeks of stuff. And then like the culmination of the, of the Clown College was one big audition for the producer of the show of, of the circus, Ringling Brothers Circus, Mr. Feld. Um, so he would come in and we all wore numbers, like we all had like a, a number patch on our on our costume. And he would have sit with his assistant and then the vice president of talent production. And then usually both of the, um, the boss clowns from each unit. At In 96, there was two units. There was a red show and a blue show. Um, and they, they travel the country simultaneously. So that way, uh, you don't see the same show in the same city every year. It's, it's always alternating, which is kind of cool. Excuse me. So... Um, he, he's there and he's right number he like you know number 14 I like his look number 15 I like the way he moves number 16 uh, I don't like his costume at all like just different stuff like that and um, so the whole thing is a big audition <clears throat> there was a lot of factors so it was like you had to be good you had to fit the right costume because on one show like it's like the, the show I went to was the red show and uh, the year I went, they were creating a completely new show, so it was a lot better. They didn't really have a specific need that they needed you to fill or like type that you needed to fill. It was just kind of like based on skills. If you were funny, if you had a good look. Um, but the other show, the Blue Show, was in the middle of their tour because each tour was two years long, so it would it depended largely on who was leaving that year. So if it was like a super tall clown that was leaving, or if there was like a very athletic clown, or if there was like uh, two girl clowns were leaving. Then they'd be like, okay, we definitely need two girl clowns because those gags were already uh, produced and the, and the show was already running, so they needed to basically fill spots. So it was this mix of, like, you had to be good, but you also had to be lucky, and you also had to be, quote-unquote, like showbiz, the right personality type or, or, or body right type. Fit. You know? yeah, right. Second so. City
0: does a lot of that with their tours. Second City, like, they do these sketch tours at theaters, and they're just redoing their old sketches that they've been doing for years, so the casting for that is a little more ubiquitous. Like, we just need somebody to fill these roles. Right. Yeah. And the, the roles don't need to be that specific because they don't have costume constraints or, or, or anything like that. They're just like, oh, we need somebody. We, we You know, this sketch requires three guys and a girl. All right. Let's make sure we cast from our improv groups three guys and two girls or whatever. It's like, right. So it's it, that's fascinating to hear that the, the circus like that because I don't know where these acts come from. I'm so it, like. It's interesting that they're like, hey, we have the show that's already going. We don't need new acts. We just need people to plug and play into those acts. Right. Because I was curious to see when you go to clown college, do you come out as a particular type of clown? Do you have a clown discipline? Like, obviously, yeah. you know, clowning is a huge industry. I know a lot of clowns now. They're all so very different. Like, yeah. there's so many clowns that just don't even talk. It's all mimicry. It's right. all mime work. You yeah. know, so does... do. Do some people, like, when you guys were putting together your audition show, were you all like, hey, look, I really like doing the mime stuff, I'll handle this mime act for this show, and, like, hey, you're really good at the athletic things, can you do the pratfall gags that we have to do and stuff like that? Like, did you guys split off into disciplines?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, traditionally in the circus, there's three types of clowns, there's uh, the white face clown which is the more usually the more traditional and they usually have like a fancier costume and they're you know they're usually kind of like the straight man of 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 the axe um and then there's a clown that's called an august clown which is normal like the like the skin color and um they you know they have like different features and things like that but most of the time they're like a skin color and they're usually kind of like the, the butt of the jokes and the, the silly, the silly one. And then there's a character clown. So it's like, that's where your, your tramp clowns or your hobo clowns or like your rodeo clowns and things like that. Like those are kind of categorized as the inner characters and, and there's a bunch of things that can kind of intertwine in, into all those. But for the most part, those were like the three sects that you kind of, um, you, you kind of fall into. And then it was really kind of based on your personality. So like when I was a clown, I was an all goose clown. Um, and I was, I was more of like, uh, an athletic type and more of like that we we called ourselves um uh, skills clowns because it was more about the juggling it was more about like um the balancing and things like that and we would do like acrobatics in the show um so it wasn't like i was never really like a, a, a comedy writing producing type clown it was like i was i was more i was happier just being like a comedy juggler uh so um that, that's kind of like where i fell into but yeah everybody had their strengths um and it was like uh, the first like four or five weeks of Clown College was kind of, for them, for the teachers, it was uh, it was like seeing kind of where everybody would probably end up, and it was kind of like uh, the last couple weeks were like kind of like pushing us into that direction um, to to form the because each week once we once we were there like every week we had um, a free show for the public on Fridays, so it was like whatever we were working on during the week we showcased it on Friday whether it was ready oh, or wow. not yeah, and so it was like it it got us used to um doing shows and it got used to us producing things quickly and then throwing it out there and seeing what worked and then we would we could like we could kind of if if something was good um we could kind of rework it and like really kind of hone it and then bring it you know every week and try to keep doing it but if it was shit then you know you just cut it you'd be like okay that wasn't funny so let's let's think of something else so um and then at the end it was kind of like all the the gags that were good got put into the the grand finale um showcase for the for the producer which was good but uh, uh I, I remember I did, I did a lot of like uh the spanish web which is the rope that that like like the you see all the time that people do the ropes and stuff like i did that um and i did what was called a table slide gag so it was like um this big like six seven foot table um and it was it was waxed and it was like polished really really so it was we super slip slippery and we would do like all these like jumps and dives on it and pull ourselves across it and stuff like that so it was pretty cool and then we did an act which is called Cherry Variant and involves like mini trampolines and we're like doing flips over this box and, but we do it to a whole gag. So it was like this, um, this pyramid where King Tut was, was buried and blah, blah, blah. And so we're all like mummies and we're like jumping over this. So it was pretty cool. You can put like a cool twist on it.
0: Oh, wow. But that yeah. sounds like such like the, 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 just the mm-hmm. social media, ness of watching Clown College, um, TikToks, I, I. I, that, I, that would get me to sit and watch TikTok is watching clown college people training to do stuff. Like that's yeah. here's. All right. This is why it blows my mind. I cannot imagine somebody going through a comedy class intensive, which is usually six weeks, you know, and two hours a week for six weeks. At the end of their classes, you have to write a five minute routine that you perform in front of an audience for your showcase. And it's, you know, your friends and family's like, yeah, we pay 10 bucks. We're here to support yeah. you. Yay, this is great. <laughs> Let's be honest. They suck coming out of it. Yeah. I can't imagine. Like, all right, at the end of six weeks, I'm like, all right, the five minutes you wrote is at least bearable. I can't imagine having them perform in front of an actual audience week one. After yeah. class one, no. Like, it takes years. Like, I watch people yeah. for years work at comedy. yeah And they still suck. You have eight weeks you have six days to get good in front yeah. of people on the thing that takes a massive amount of, of, of work. It's not like, like I can kind of, you know, like I can fake my way through writing. You know, you can't fake your way yeah. through a juggling act. You can't fake your way through an acrobatic right. act. You, one misstep yeah. flipping over a trampoline, you just land a quarter inch in the wrong direction. And that's a broken ankle at yeah. worst. Or, uh, you know, it's a, a concussion. broken nose. <laughs> yeah, a broken yes. nose. Exactly. And now, like, I mean with a broken nose you could perform you can't perform with a broken ankle yeah. you know that's 2 months of hey you just wasted your first week of clown college
1: yeah yeah for sure and and you know it's it um it coming like like clown college for me was so humbling because um i know by the way you're
0: 18 years old that's the other top yeah, of it i don't no, want to hear 18 yeah. year olds yeah 17 18 yeah. year olds i don't want to hear 17 18 year olds comedy let alone seventy, right. like that blows yeah. my mind. That you're that that like you really have to take it serious. Like you have to be that dedicated to it.
1: Oh, yeah. that's I was that I was is a, that's boot camp, bro. Yeah, for sure. I was the youngest one there. I was one of the youngest ones to ever go to Clown College, um, but I was the, I was the youngest one there for sure. That and and I was I was not very worldly at all. Like you know, I grew up in Dundalk. The yeah. farthest north I'd been was New York. The farthest west was West Virginia, East Delaware, and like south was like i think i'd gone to myrtle beach a couple times you know like so i was very like tri-state area yeah. you know like and i was very young and so i was like i was athletic and i had i think i had pretty good comedy timing um but other than that i had like zero circus skills and i'm getting there and you know you know i like you said earlier like i was this like big fun got tough guy from you know from high school and I'm like riding these uh these huge wins like the the last play that that we did the hat full of rain with Shank like it was great and it, it was it it was you know really well produced and like we, we got a lot of awards and a lot of praise for it so I'm like riding high like oh my shit doesn't stink and blah 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 and then you get there and so it, the class was like there was like 30 people but first of all that was another win like um the, the statistic is it is statistically harder to get into or it was um since clown college is not around anymore, but it was statistically harder to get into clown college than it was Harvard or Yale because you had they traveled the country and they like over over the whole time their audition is probably about three thousand people that audition every year for clown college and only thirty make it so um automatically yeah yeah, mathematically just so um stacked against you but so yeah so i get there and i'm like oh my shit doesn't stink i'm this cool like i'm you know young good looking guy blah 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 look at me uh and i was just so humbled because i was used to being the best at what i did from where i'm from and then I get there, and I'm one of 30 who are also all the best at where they were from, you know. So it was like, and they were a lot better, and they and they were older, and they were more experienced, they were more worldly. Um, so I just immediately was like gut checked, you know. It was like <laughs> holy crap, and that's why like after about four weeks, I was like, I can't do this. I I got to go home, man, because it just really ate at me because I was used to this. This whole, like, my shit doesn't stink, and they were there to tell me that, yeah, it does, and <laughs> you need to work on it, and you need to get better. But but the group of people I went with, they were phenomenal. Like, you know, they were so talented, and they, and they were really, really good at, um, at carrying you and, and, and lifting you up. So um, it was it was definitely, like, a, a good tribe. And um, I learned so much in that eight weeks about myself, about clowning, about the circus, and just about life in general. So it was it really, but it was a humbling experience to to, um, to go through all that, you know. Yeah, it, when it
0: comes to, to skills and talent, mm. you're a Baltimore nine, but at the circus, you're an LA three.
1: Right, for sure. <laughs> like totally, that's that is like hitting the nail on the head right there.
0: So, all right, the graduation, uh, the obje- like clown college. I it's all right. And is it Barnum? Was it Barnum and Bailey or Ringling Brothers?
1: It was it was Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus.
0: Okay, so, all right. I'm so bad at knowing those names. So at least I got that. If I say Ringling Brothers, or I said Barnum and Bailey. I was right. Okay, good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a collective name. So 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 real quick a history lesson, there was the Ringling Brothers Circus, there was PT Barnum's sideshow, and then there was the Bailey Brothers Circus, and basically they all combined um, at one point and then it became the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. Okay. So, it's so, much it's much deeper than that, but that's the the gist of it. That's
0: the small part. We we've all seen greater show with Hugh Jackman, we got the we got the pre-story. Right. <laughs> uh, PT Barnum was just an amazing singer that was also yeah. a great
1: uh, so such a good so guy.
0: Go the the Clown College is put on by it's owned by Barnum & Bailey Ringling Brothers by them. It's not like a separate entity that goes right, here was. audition for somebody. We're just t-. so it's basically their it's their farm program.
1: Yeah, so basically what happened was that in the 60s um the one of the producers was like you know the the median the average age for the clowns at that point were like 60s, 70s you know, and they were like we need to get some young blood. We need to we, we want to try to, you know, get this clowning program so that we can kind of start funneling some younger, um, some blood into the circus so that we can have these people. Because these people were like great clowns, but they were all getting ready to retire. They were all old, you know. Um, so it was basically a program to kind of, like you said, a farm program to kind of get some talent in. And, and every year they did it um, from, I I, I want to say like 68. Uh, I'm so bad at the history. Uh, all my nerd clown friends are going to be like, Brian, <laughs> what are you doing? Like they're calling me out on it. But yeah, like. Anyway, it was, it was it was quite a quite a few decades of Clown College, and and then the year after I went, '97, was the last official year that um, Clown College was produced. So, oh wow! Yeah. Uh, so after that the
0: year, they're, they're like, no other clowns would do.
1: Well, you know, it was funny because was, no, it was uh, so my year was '96, and '97 was Steve O's year. So that the, after the year he went to Cloud College, after that they were like, "We're done, <laughs> we're done." <laughs> so it was pretty funny, you know. He, he's the one that ruined it for everybody now. So that's what I'm wondering: is the graduation going to Clown College?
0: The the whole point of graduation for all the students is to get into Ringling Brothers
1: to get a contract with the circus. Yep.
0: And out of the thirty, how many do you think, on average? I mean, I guess it's dependent on so who quits and by, not what they need. Yeah, you could so, just so, be years like, "Hey, we don't need any new clowns. Yeah, thanks, they're, for, they're, thanks for thanks for taking they're, the program. Yeah, yeah. See there, you there was next year, that, maybe.
1: Yeah, there was years that were probably like two or three people made it out of 30, 35 people. And then my year, I think, was it was a big transitional year. So quite a few people made it. Yeah. I think about twelve people made it for my year total. But I didn't make it at first. Uh, my first year, I got the shaft. Yeah, because uh, um, it just you know, I I I really don't. Think that I I used uh, all my potential there and uh, I kind of took things for granted and uh, phoned in some stuff and I guess it showed you know and so initially that that first when you know first round I didn't get a contract um, but I was I was placed as an alternate so it was like you either get a contract and then you or you're an alternate or you were just don't even think about it you know Uh, so what happened was I did end up going that that you know later that year because a couple people quit uh the show and then they were like okay well let's call Brian and see if he still wants to do it so um I did end up going right after clown college which was nice but yeah I didn't I wasn't offered a contract right out of clown college which was kind of like heartbreaking you know I just spent all this time and energy and you know I wasn't worried like I could go back to college I had my scholarships would would hold over and this and that but it was just kind of like well I I thought this is you know what I wanted to do and it was just kind of slap in the face but
0: it's also kind of amazing to listen to this story because we grew up in the 90s and our only perception of improv was Whose Line Is It Anyway. Right. And that was if you were lucky. Like this, you know, we went to school, we went to school and did improv before Drew Carey brought back the revival of Whose Line Is It Anyway. Right. So for us to find out what improv was, you had to watch like Comedy Central at 5 a.m. on a Sunday when they would put do re, uh, replays, repeats, uh, uh, you know, reruns of the BBC's version of Whose Lies, Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. So we only knew of short form, while throughout all those years, you know, all throughout all the decades, they've been teaching long form, and I didn't really learn much about long form until I moved here to Boston, and how intensive long form is now, and now it's of course everywhere. But it's, it's if you don't have that perception of what, how critical improv is to everything, and how it's, like when you look at acting, clowning, my world is up comedy, it's amazing how beneficial to all the people improv can be. Like, I hate improv when they do the uh, corporate, uh, like, oh look at the, uh, oh hey, we're gonna help your, we're gonna help your team building skills by doing improv training. Improv, like, it's so lecherous and uh, uh, um, predatory that it yeah. makes me sick. And that's why I hate. Like, the only thing I hate about uh, uh, improv is the business of improv. Yeah, Um, because it's so cannibalistic, like improv schools, theaters, they're they're training their business model is make your students your audience and make your audience your students and you feed off each other. It sounds so disgusting and gross, but the skills you learn doing long form, short form, Harold and all the other all all these other variations of it is so beneficial to so many forms of art uh, that it's so refreshing to hear that that because you had that skill in high school, this tiny little thing that everybody else knows about, that it, that it helped you get to clown college, which is to say, again, we think about it, clowning, juggling, all these amazing still acrobatics, gymnastics stuff, things you have no background in. You got in because you had good acting foundations, and part of that good acting foundation was improv. So that's right. very refreshing to hear. Um, since you've left uh, clown college, and we'll talk about your time in uh, in the circus in a moment, but... uh other than clowning have you been following up with any your your improv training like or do you go back to any improv schools or theaters or do you occasionally get together to do games or workshops or anything like that
1: yeah you know what's funny i do um uh my my daughter my youngest daughter hannah she wants to be an actress uh so i I told her i was like the she's always like we have uh the same agent she's got uh a a commercial and, and film agent now uh which which is my agent down in charleston um but i made her you know learn her own monologue i was like you're not gonna you know i'm not just gonna like tell her hey you should represent her. i was like you're gonna have to earn it i was like because it's a it's a crazy business i said but um she did she you know she she learned a monologue and she's doing like everything and she auditioned it for her and and um you know my agent was like yeah okay cool so, so she was like that but then she's like dad i'm not you know i'm not getting any auditions and blah 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 blah. and i was like well well are you still working on your craft and she's like, "What do you mean?" And I'm like, "Well, you got the agent, that's good. That's one point." I was like, "But being an actor or an actress isn't just I, I do a monologue one time and I'm an actress. I was like, "You have to con- continually and consistently work on your craft, and your craft is your your brain and your and your, your ability to do characters to do dialects, to do uh, accents to do." improv you know so i improv with her all the time it was funny just just last night we were improv and we were doing yes and you know and she was saying that she was i was like no no yes and yes and <laughs> you know so we were just going as crazy as possible but um she, i told her too i was like well what are you doing to work on your character she's like I, don't know. I said okay i said learn a new language learn a new accent learn five new accents i said learn one accent really well so that from now on when they want uh, somebody that's blonde hair blue eyes that has you know a boston accent they, they're looking at you for the age range of 16 to 22. like like be so good at one thing that you know it's impossible for them to, to turn you down and, and what's good about the whole social media now is that like I, th- I feel like tiktok's a huge resource for this stuff like there's tons of like impers- uh, impressionists uh tons of people like willing to teach you how to do impress- impressions or dialogue dialects uh you know you can learn languages and you can see other successful people and they'll break it down for you and it's like a such a great community for learning um, that's what I tell her too. I'm like, for every three uh, TikTok videos you see, people dancing and this and that, watch 10 on how to do something, how to pick up a skill. And I said, and eventually, you, you know, they're going to have no choice but to, you know, to pick you because you're so good at what you do. I said, and then the world will see. I said, like, but you, you're living in an age now where you can completely cut out the middleman. And it's such a refreshing thing that you can literally just produce your own content and just put it out there. And just keep rapid firing, you know everything, and then you're going to get noticed because it's consistency and it's you know the dedication and it's also the skill level. Your skill's going to improve with that much repetition. So, um, that's that's what I do too. Like a lot of times, uh, we'll do things for fun, and like she's like she she loves Mark Wahlberg, so I started to like do the, the oh well you got to get you know like because he's always out of breath and like I try. To, like, <laughs> I, got the, oh, I hate
0: that. I, there's so many actors that like I'm being dramatic. <laughs>
1: So I'm out of, I'm out of
0: breath. This a very important so, scene. Uh, yeah. It's like, what? What? Is, did you run laps to get here to have a dramatic? Brian Gosling, did you run laps to tell Kate, whatever her name is, that you love her? Why? Like, why? Is there something? Is someone squeezing you? What's going on, Chris Pine? What's everybody, going on?
1: Everybody for that like five-year window went to the same acting school. Like, like that's what this that was the first lesson that was taught there. But no. So yeah. So that's um. I don't do anything traditionally uh, as far as the, the performance aspect. I, I feel like I, I, I still perform. I still you know regularly do my show. Um, so that keeps me constantly like the whole five, like 10 minutes before I do my show, I'm out in the audience and I'm warming them up and I'm, I'm doing all that myself. Like I'm trying to connect with them on a personal level. I tell them about my, my background, my history. Uh, I would do like questions and answers. And my, and my daughter's there too, because she runs my sound. So um I, I get her involved. So it's it's that that part and I also do it like kind of like how the like the stand-up comedians would would like warm up like a television crowd. Um, I kind of do it that like that way where I kind of some of its bits that I do, some of it's kind of stand up and then some of it's just kind of real, you know, trying to connect with them. So
0: Okay, so yeah, you're you because of working on your because you're continuously doing your graph you're still having to work on your graph it's great to hear that you're basically improv training your you're doing improv yeah, yeah. pop quizzes with your daughter
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and then see what's funny is when I do my show um I do uh before I start I do I go backstage and I do like a set of breathing exercises because I do a 45 minute show and I'm 44 so it's like it's it's still pretty it's a lot of cardio you know so I, <laughs> I get in the right mind frame but I tell them I'm like hey I'm going to go backstage. I'm going to do my breathing exercises for about a minute or two. I was like, and then it's just my daughter on the stage, like with the sound equipment. I'm like, but you know, does he got any questions? Just shoot him the Hannah. She loves answering questions. And so I put her on the spot, like every single show. But she's like, uh, and they do, they ask her, they grill her. Like, oh, you go to college? What college are you going to? How's it? And I, I'll be back there with my microphone. And sometimes I'll be like, ask her how, how it is having the coolest dad in the world, you know, like just messing with her, you know? Um, but, yes, uh, I throw her out of the spot. She loves it, though. <laughs> she does well. Uh, that's,
0: <laughs> uh, so, uh, let's go back to getting into the circus. Because you said the blue team you're on, right?
1: The red. red you're
0: show, on the red team. I'm so bad with colors. I'm, I can, okay. I'm not colorblind, but I can, I'm just bad at remembering. I, hey, look, everybody, I just want you to know I'm woke despite this haircut. I'm woke and color blind when it comes to real life things. Not actual <laughs> colors, I can see them, but I'm just a. Anyway. Uh, so on the red team, you said they were creating uh, a new act uh, for that year. How yeah. much of that was your was input from the people coming in? How much of it was like, hey, we wrote these things. Here's what you're gonna do.
1: So so yeah. So basically, um, the the clowns would be in charge of producing all the content for like the first hour before the show actually started. They called it the three ring adventure where um, I think you might, I don't know if you've ever been to the circus, but back in like the nineties, they started to let people come down onto the floor and like mill around. And actually like before the show started, um, they could kind of like see the ring curves and they could really get a, you know, a sense of what, what everything was like. And they called it the three ring adventure. Um, and basically in each ring, we, the clowns would be doing like gags and things like that, a lot of comedy, a lot of um, audience participation and things like that. So those things that we were writing in Clown College are what we'd be, we'd be performing at the Three Ring Adventure. And then sometimes like the big production numbers, um, those would make it into the actual show. So that table slide thing that I told you about and the and the cherry very with the, the mini trampolines, those were both things that we did in the actual show. So um, it, it, that's why I... Because I, I was athletic and I was able to do, those were both very um, labor-intensive, uh, gymnastics-involved, acrobatics-involved uh, gags. So that's why I was able to, to get pulled up from you know from being an alternate. And they were like, yeah, well, at least he, he was athletic, so let's bring him and he can, <laughs> he can fill that costume. It'll be fun.
0: And how many years did you spend with uh, him?
1: I was with Ringling Brothers for six years, from 96 to 2002. So that's three tours? Three tours, yep three uh, and they were three full tours so it was uh like i said the 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 red show started in i mean it started a lot longer but they, they started a new show at the tail end of 96. um so that went 97 98 then a new show for 99 2000 and then a new show for 2001 2002 so three different shows
0: and so what was life like traveling with the circus like you know we we know the old joke we're gonna run away and join the circus and stuff like that but you know, I've talked to a lot of friends who are clowns. Uh, I just the, uh, your episode is going to drop probably in like three days. I'm going to put it out this week uh, because I'm, my life. I don't have time. I got to get it done today. I don't have any more days off, but get it out. <laughs> I had two days off this week. And that's because I uh, and I spent one of them on the couch because I just needed time to do nothing, even though yeah. I spent the week previous on the whole couch. Be- with hernia surgery and not doing anything. Like I felt so guilty, not being able to move, just sitting on my couch, sweltering in 90, 90% humidity, 95 degrees, 90% humidity. Going, I should go down and work on a podcast, but I'm just in so much pain. Then I go back to work for a week and I'm like, I just need to sit here and decompress from a week of work. For I just need to eat pizza and watch YouTube videos and not talk to anybody. I'll talk to somebody tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, my most previous episode is also with another person who was a clown. Uh, Well, his dad was a clown in the circus and left the circus. He was with, I think, Big Apple Circus. Okay. Um, And he left and he became a traveling street performer. Um, Who was that? uh, uh, Jack Lapieres. uh, Lapieres. Uh, He was just on America's Got Talent. Yeah. Thanks for not looking at any episodes of the podcast before coming on it. Appreciate you not doing any research or checking in on me. Hey, you know what? We only succeed from the from the the help uh, from the uh, uh, we only succeed with the help of our friends. So I appreciate you paying attention to the podcast and listening bright and.
1: Well, here's the thing: I don't like podcasts. I, yeah. I really don't have time for. But I watch all of your little snippets on TikTok and and all that stuff, like the the little micro moments. Like I love those. Cause yes. I'm like, Okay. I, I got two minutes. I can enjoy this. Like you know. But yeah. Fair so enough. I, I, I do a lot of
0: long form interviews. I don't blame anybody who is like I don't have ninety minutes. My commute's six minutes, Dennis. I don't need to listen to your conversation. Not everybody takes p- p- subways to work like I do, have to, where I have to go plan out my entire week of, all right, I have a 45-minute trip today If I'm <laughs> as long as I'm not late, so I need to listen to this podcast and this podcast, and then tomorrow I'll listen to this one and this one, and I'll listen yeah. to this one on the way home. Yeah, not everybody, I know not everybody has to plan their day around listening to people talk as much as I do. <laughs> uh,
1: I've got a shallow bathtub, too, so I can't even, like, enjoy a, a nice bath. <laughs> My knees and my my elbows are out, you know? (laughs) So it's like I can't even enjoy a a good podcast at a bath time, you know?
0: (laughs) Sorry, taking notes because I just realized this is going to be our uh, social media clip. (laughs) You putting your arms up with the Captain America tattoo. I'm like, yep, there's the clip that's going on social media. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, we were just talking about social media. That's kind of the world. We'll talk more about social media later, but uh, that's so much... That, like, it's easy to be cynical and be like, oh, I hate Twitter, it's blah, 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 this and that, TikTok is for, I don't understand, I'm not going on TikTok and doing dances Then don't, just do whatever you want to do on it. Anyway, yeah. but, so like so much of my brain sometimes has to be for over the past like 12 years uh, has had to be, all right, what, this is a thing that happens. I have to remember to use this for social media because that's the world that we live in and I yeah embrace that stuff and I should be embracing it more. Anyway, back Thumbnail. to life on the circus. That's what I'm <laughs> curious about. Um, no. is the living life on the circus. You're in a traveling thing. I have a lot of friends who are tra- who are road comedians, and they talk about how lonely the road can be because no. it's just you in your car, you're going to hotels, you go to a club, you don't know anybody. You go up, you do your act, you get a bunch of accolades from people if you're lucky, and then you leave and you go back to your room sad and depressed. And it's, it's heartbreaking. For me, that sounds like fun. Because I look at it differently. Oh, I get you mean I get to travel and look at different places of the world, and then I get to meet new people at like the receptionists at the hotel, and then I get to talk to meet new people like the servers and bartenders at this place. That sounds like my dream. Yeah. You know, so I guess there's a lot of perception. Now, granted, uh, my little tours are like one week at a time, and usually I'm going to places I'm already familiar with. Right. Um, and I'm also very outgoing. I've always been, you know, a big personality. I don't mind, I I don't mind walking up to strangers and just talking to them. Um, and I can understand where some people, their only exuberance is when they're on the stage and when they come off stage, they're like, you know, yeah. they curl up into to their ball of anxiety of persons. I'm not that I'm on stage because I'm exuberant off stage, you know, yeah. and other people aren't. Um, and I, I have never gotten that. You weren't like you were, I wouldn't say a big personality, but you're a personality that feels like it. Like people can feel your presence when you walk in the room. Yeah.
1: You know, I try to always be on. You know? Like, unless I'm not feeling well like I'm always on I because and and it's it's just an ego thing it's just because mm-hmm. I make myself laugh and that's really all that matters like I'm doing things that make myself laugh first and then if everybody else laughs at it that's like oh, that's yes. a win but yeah so, <laughs> like, so for
0: you living on the road with the circuit, no, you're traveling to other people but again the old cliche surrounded by a hundred people and you're the loneliest person in the world is that is. was that your kind of experience in the road or what was the experience no. for Brian uh, Brian the, the new Brian from Dundalk the new clown guy what was your life on the road as a clown performer like
1: yeah so so initially there is that shock like um, i can i think i'll probably always have the memory etched into my brain of uh, when when i traveled with the circus uh, we we all lived on a train so um my room was like i don't know if you've ever taken a, a train anywhere not like a subway but like a a passenger train like they have the roomettes and uh, the state rooms and things like that um, my room was called a roomette. It wasn't even classified as a room. It was uh, <laughs> a door that slid into the wall. And when you step in, it was exactly four feet deep. It was six feet long and it was eight feet tall. So it was literally like a, a, a walk-in closet. Like I not had even more space
0: closet. at the Baltimore County Detention Center for the mu- 31 days that I served there than yeah. you had on your train.
1: Oh, yeah, God. Like, like, and, when, and when I got on the, I remember um, I was the last one, to come onto the train that year because everybody else had got a contract, like I said. So I joined, in uh, when they put the show together, it's called Winter Quarters. So it was like a, a month and a half of of putting the show together down in uh, Tampa, Florida, at the fairgrounds down there. It's where we, we had a big, like, um, warehouse and everything, and that's where we put the show together. And uh, the train was parked, you know, just a little bit uh, down the road, like in Ybor City. Um, so I get on the train, and I got this big duffel bag and another bag, and it was like – okay and my, my friend shows me this room and i'm like oh okay so this is like my closet where i put my clothes like where do i sleep and, and, it, and it was like because because like the bed the bed and like it's kind of like how uh, like a trailer is like the bed forms uh, a table and it has like two gauchos you know and the cushions and you put the table down and make it a bed and i was like huh that's weird and so he just he pulls the table down and like lets it go and then puts the puts the two cushions on it and he goes and i'm like <laughs> I'm like, oh, is this because because I'm a new guy? Is that what this kind of oh, okay, haha. Where's it? And they're like, Brian, this is your end, and then they showed me everybody else's room. And theirs were already decorated. And I'm like, wow, like that was a that was a big shock to me. And um, but once you get once you get used to, it, I mean, there was like 14 or 15 of us that that were in the the clown car, <clears throat> the train car, and uh, they were all clowns. And uh, we had a kitchen in there with two refrigerators and things like that. So it was a, it was a little micro community inside the circus. So. Uh, and these guys were the funniest guys, and you know it's like it was like a fraternity. So it was like uh, that initial like you know week or two, and you're and you're you're away from your parents, you're you're home homesick a little bit, but it it, it quickly evaporated when uh, you just kind of grab life by the by the reins and just go with it, you know. Like and I I was literally in a different city every week and um, just seeing things that I never would have been able to see as like you know a seventeen year old kid from Dundalk on my own, you know. Um, so I didn't have time to be homesick. I didn't have time to like catch any weird feelings. Like it was just balls to the wall. Like we're we're doing this and we're having the best experience of our life. So for six years, I, we just went hard and it was, it was amazing. Yeah. I was for like me growing
0: up in hand I was in the boy scouts. So with the boy scouts, I learned a lot of things around about the world. Um, and I also got to travel. Like when I was 17, I was in Scotland. Yeah. You know, for two weeks, uh, which was a huge, you know, like I I, I go back and think about so many things I did horribly wrong back then as a 17 year old, like just trying to be funny, just trying to make friends and just saying, like repeating lines from South Park that I didn't know what they meant, but just like, hey, this is the funny thing that I laughed at. Won't you guys laugh at it too? And they're like, Dennis, why would you say that? That's horrible. But, uh, you know, or just like how needy I was for attention and trying to be friends with people. But uh, I at least had some experience with the world growing up uh, a little bit, like traveling around and and, and stuff. I can't imagine that cultural shock of, hey, this is my first time really leaving home and seeing different things. Uh, When you're traveling to these cities, how much time do you have to actually experience the cities? Or it's like you set up, you do your thing, you do the show, you pack it up, you get on the train and you go back to another city. Like, is there like sometimes when I get to do comedy, I plan Hey, I want to leave at this time. So when I get to Greensboro, I have six hours in Greensboro to experience the city before I go do my show at night. Is there that availability or is it just a grind?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no. It was definitely a time that you could check out things. So basically, what would happen is, uh, depending on how far each city's jump was, they tried to keep it within like a day's train ride. There were a couple big train runs when we were starting to go out west, um, but. For the most part, it was like a day on the train. So it would be like, uh, you know, Tampa to Miami or like Miami to Jacksonville. So it would be like, it wouldn't be that, that far. So basically the train would uh, leave Monday or like late, late Sunday night, early Monday morning, uh, travel all day Monday. We'd usually get in uh, either late Monday night or early Tuesday morning. Um, And then we'd set up the whole show on Tuesday and we would open up on Wednesday. So basically um you'd have like the days during the day to like kind of go explore the city and then at night because the weekends we would have like six shows um so it wasn't really a whole lot you could do but you you know during the day like wednesday thursday friday you could go and um you know see the city and then the show was like seven thirty, so it was usually done by like nine thirty. so if you wanted to go catch a movie or something you could do that or you know go out to to grab some drinks or something you could do that um but then there was times like the first year of this of the the circuit um you're you're playing the bigger cities, so you're playing like new york you're playing la you're playing chicago you're playing the bigger city so um whenever we were in new york we would play like long island first we played jersey and then we'd play uh madison square garden so it was like we were in madison square garden for at least a month um so and then long island and, and jersey you were there for like another so so all in all you were there almost two months so you could kind of really dive into some of the craziness of uh the cities like the bigger cities in la we, we played like long beach la um uh, uh anaheim and things like that so we were in the la area too for like almost two months so you could really kind of get to see what the cities were about um the second year we called it the rodeo route because you're playing smaller cities like waco and like uh <laughs> newton kansas and things like that you like places that you're like this is a city but that was the coolest part uh for me was playing the smaller cities uh like like you see like if your life was a movie, you like remember different parts of like the B roll. And for me, like one of the parts that, that uh, I remember the B roll is traveling uh, the Midwest on the train. Um, some of these cities were so small that the circus wouldn't play there. So the only like the only glimpse that they would get of the actual circus is when it went through their backyard on the train tracks, and they would literally post up with their lawn chairs and signs and stuff like that because we would wow. creep through these towns. And uh, they they knew they knew when the train was coming, and it'd be like big celebrations, big parties of people just having like parties in their yard. But like because the circus was just coming through on the tracks, and I remember be like being out on the vestibules and like waving at these people that were like, you know, that was the biggest part of their their summer. You know, was like when the train comes. It was just so cool to be like part of that experience, and it's something that you you can't ever really describe to somebody because they weren't there of how just like that, that visceral experience of being that part of somebody's life in just the smallest way um, was really, really cool.
0: Oh my God. Like that's like, i I'm, like for, for some people you have to also explain this is the, yeah, there's 1998. Yeah. There's no internet. Mm-mm. I mean, there's the internet, there's AOL, but even yeah. like the, the, a fraction of people had it. And if right. you did have it, you weren't experiencing that much stuff. There wasn't that much stuff on the internet to experience, even right. if you had it. So these potong towns, like that's flabbergasting to me to know that some people literally live their lives like, uh-oh, you know what tomorrow is? Right. Circus train! And it's just them for three minutes sitting in the air watching a train go by and waving. And maybe they'll see a giraffe's head stick, out, uh, stick up outside of a, a train car. And yeah. then that's the highlight of their life. That's that's incredibly aspiring to know that you can have that much impact on somebody's life in such a fraction of a moment. But also at the same time, when you look at it in the big picture, it's like that's incredibly depressing and sad that that is the, that is the highlight of someone's life that nothing else in their life will ever compare to that thing that you and me would take for instantly granted. Like, you know, the, like I think the, the, the the closest we have in Baltimore, and it's a novelty to us. It's not a thing that we we will just go down and sit on uh, the patio of, um, yeah, you Ale know, Street Pub and watch them walk the 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 elephants from mm-hmm. the down the streets to the the Baltimore Arena when the circus comes down. We're like, oh hey hey, circus is coming. They're coming, set up. They're gonna walk the the, the elephants around two o'clock. You guys want to go get beers and watch elephants? Yeah. Like for us, it's a novelty. It's not the highlight of our life. For, right. Ah. Like, yeah. I can, like, we grew up in a, in a like, f- say what you want about Baltimore and Dundalk. I mean, we grew up in a very urbanized environment where there was a lot of going on, a lot of experiences, both good and bad. But, mm-hmm. like, we were at least enough of a city where that wasn't, our life was like, hey, there's a train coming. Let's wave at the train. Yeah. All right, the yeah. train went by. Let's go back to pretending that we're not sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So that's like that insane. part. It was it was uh, it was very humbling and it was it was, you know, it teaches you gratitude for sure. So Wow. Um, so, so listen
0: people are weird about money. I think people should be less weird about money, so let's talk about money. Because the perception of these industries is like, Oh, we pay for your room, your board, and your food, so we don't pay you much money. And it almost becomes even though you're being paid, it almost becomes like a servitude situation, endangered servitude situation where it's like Hey, I make money, but I don't make enough money to be able to walk away from this lifestyle. Uh, or some people just, they do a thing like actors. The amount of money that actors get paid to act sometimes is, is insane. Um, yeah. Was that, uh, like, what was the pay like as a clown in Barnaby? You don't have to talk exact numbers if you don't no, want no, to. No. no, yeah. But I would fine. love to hear what the numbers are.
1: Yeah. So, so, um, when I was auditioning for Clown College and uh, things like that, I was like, um, I heard rumors that like clowns started at like 60 grand a year and this, you know, six, 17 years old in 1996, like a 60 grand salary, that's like, you know, 150 grand now. So you're I, like, At
0: 41, I will take 60 grand salary right now, okay? <laughs> yeah,
1: so I was like, oh, that's great, that's blah, blah, blah. So we do everything and I remember like when, when it was time, uh, you know, months and months later to, to talk about my contract and uh, things like that, I look and Uh, first-year clowns when I when I was a first-year clown my first contract was $300 a week so in 1996 I was making more than that at the snowball stand so it was like (laughs) 15 grand a year but yeah they did they did pay for your uh, like we said we we lived on a train so they paid for all those expenses they didn't pay for food, so we still had to pay for food but they did pay for transportation so um, like there was a bus that we took like to and from the arena and things like that if you didn't have your own car so um, It, it it was a very uh humbling salary and it was like it, again it it made you think to yourself like you really have to want this you really have to you know you're not doing it for the money uh at first i mean there there it got it got to be pretty lucrative uh towards the end so i was there for 6 years so like my first year salary is 300 and then the second year i actually uh When I went in to do my contract negotiations, uh, I I didn't want to stay anymore. Um, And I, you know, I I missed my girlfriend back home and this and that. And I was like, oh, I'm going to. And then um, I ended up changing my mind and I I ended up staying. But um, everybody else had already signed their contract and they got 315 for their second year, all my first year friends. Uh, And then since I changed my mind and signed it late, he like he made me only get $310. And I didn't realize that until after I signed (laughs) it. That's dirty as fuck. That's dirty. It was a big F you to me. $5 less a week than everybody else. But I got him back because uh, uh, by the end, um, there was a big, there was like a mass exodus in 99. Um, Like every single clown was kind of like, like fed up with everything. And everybody wanted to go their different ways. And so absolutely zero people came back or signed a contract initially from 99 to 2000 on the red show. And it was like the first time in history that it's ever happened that all the clowns left. Um, but I told him when I went in, I'm like, look, I am willing to come back, but this is how much you got to pay me. And so this was, this would have been for my, um, for my fifth and sixth year. Um, and, uh, he's like, uh, oh, and I told him it was like a thousand dollars a week. And at that point, you know, I, I'd, I'd been doing pretty well. I, I think I made like front for like the years, year three, I think I was at like 500 and then at year four, year four, I think I was like closer to six, six something, um, which was, you know, from in three years, doubling your salary is not bad. But, um, (laughs) so he's, he's like, absolutely not. And I was like, okay, well, just to let you know, I'm the only one that's willing to come back. So it's up to you. And then by the end of the year, he's like, okay. And I, and I, I thought to myself, like knowing that I was, I was fully prepared to sign a two-year contract because most of the contracts were one year. Um, so I was like, I knew that I was prepared to sign a two-year contract. Um, he's like, okay, we're going to do it. But if we're doing it, we got to talk about two years. I said, "Yeah, it's no problem." And he was just like, "Really?" And I was like, "Yeah." So uh, I I was making a grand a week my my fifth and sixth year, which was you know it's pretty good. That's you know fifty plus grand a year when you got zero expenses. So um, it was it was pretty good. But uh, some of the acts, some of the acts were you know like the 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 um, Tiger Act and uh, some of the high wire people. Like they they make pretty good money. Uh, the concessions people make pretty good money. Um, but yeah, the some of the acts just don't you know. <laughs> Well, that's what I wondered when
0: you're leaving, when you're preparing your life to walk away from the circus, what's your plan? Like, so, I, like with the very specifics of clowning, there's only a, like that skill set only transfers over to only certain things like me, my, I went to six years of community college and all I, I graduated with three degrees. I say graduated. I didn't pay for my last semester. So technically I didn't graduate. So it's just fun when I tell host trivia, it's like, I went to six years of community college and didn't graduate. That's why I asked the questions and not answer them. Uh, <sighs> but like uh, my entire, all my education is radio, television, and journalism.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know how to make a spreadsheet. Right. I don't know how to work in an office. I did radio for 22 years. Oh, yeah. when, by the time iHeartRadio uh, uh, laid me off in 2018, I looked at, like, doing temp agency work just because I was going to go do freelance audio work because that's all I know how to do. Right. And I looked at what they require you to know to do. I was like, I don't know any of these. I don't know what these words mean, let alone how to do these jobs that they're saying. And, like, I was so willfully unprepared for the real world. I have no other career decisions other than entertainment. That's all I know how to do.
1: Right.
0: It's scary at 41, like, every time I try to think about, oh, well, maybe I'll just change careers how i have no skill sets to change careers and please someone hire please npr hire me to produce your podcasts anyway but for you again similar situation you're coming out of you know being a clown what else are you going to be able to do with those clown skills
1: yeah what's the plan so yeah so it was interesting uh the the end of like towards the end of year six once i realized that you know i wasn't coming i wasn't coming back Uh, i'd gotten married and so my uh, my ex wife, she was a, a contortionist and an acrobat from um, Budapest, from Hungary, and um, we were like. I think it's safe to say
0: you met her on the circus. She's not yeah. just like, oh, I was at a bar. Hey, there's a contortionist at a different.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, no, um, and 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 it, it's kind of like um, one of those things. Like we're we're young, we're like 22, mm-hmm. and she was like 20. I think she was 21. Um, at that point, you're kind of looking at. A couple of different industries there the the cruise ship industry is always an option it's mm-hmm. always a viable option they have you know guest entertainers and they have uh, uh, productions on on their cruise ships and, and there's plenty of those there's theme parks um, so theme parks are always hiring variety entertainment uh, there are other circuses smaller circuses obviously um, yeah and yeah and and then there's um, there's shows there's um, like standalone shows or there's some traveling shows that hire variety performers so those were kind of uh, the options that we had and then based on those and and, and we were fortunate enough to see um, What what the lives were like in different cities and we also had kind of built up a network of people um, In in various cities, so we kind of had like we could either go to New York um, And 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 try you know, th- there's always you know plenty of shows and and, and, and auditioning to do in, in New York um, We can go to Orlando and, and do the theme park circuit, you know and, there was uh, Florida's a huge uh, retirement community for for circus artists, so there's a huge support system down there. Uh, we could go to Vegas um, and hit the shows in Vegas, um, and do you know casinos are always um, booking variety acts, and or we can you know go to LA and try to try to really take a stab at um, doing the, the Hollywood thing. So and we had friends everywhere, like doing doing all those things. So ultimately, we decided to uh, move to Vegas because uh, I I love. Uh, blackjack and I, I've always loved poker. So, um, I, I, well, I figured I, I could get a job as a casino dealer um, while we were doing the gigging on the side and just kind of see where it took us. And um, at least that was like an actual job. And and, and my ex-wife, she could she could like be a bartender or, or be a cocktail waitress. And, and we knew that those, those lifestyles would be able to support like an actual lifestyle. And, and it would also give us the flexibility to kind of do the things and, and, and try to like get into shows as well so that's what we ended up doing we ended up moving to uh to vegas and, and doing shows out there and I, I became a blackjack dealer and uh she became a cocktail waitress. but we, we still worked and we still you know we would do shows and i got into a couple of shows out there um so that's by the way kinda, i want to point out
0: what you just said is the title of the show it's like you meet somebody who's tending bar and you're uh, uh, attending bar or you meet somebody who goes oh yeah no i'm a clown uh for the circus uh, but you're wiping tears, like yeah. But what do you really do?
1: Right, right. <laughs> so, so at that point, you know, that's the first time it was like, but what do you really do for us? Yeah. Because um, up until that point, we were we were uh, primarily performers. Um, so, and but but it was good. It was good to to see uh, what it was really like and what it was going to take to make it quote unquote, make it in the private sector uh, without this huge PR machine behind you. That was the circus, you know, like, again, this is own.
0: still pre-internet. So even like just it's amazing how much social media has changed the promotion world in itself. Like the job of social media management is a, a job that was created 15 years ago because yeah, it was a need for it. You know, like there's always been PR and marketing and stuff, but it was never meant anything like PR marketing is all, all you really did is write press releases and send it to the news agencies. You yeah. didn't have to like think about the PR team at Wendy's that have to think of funny roasting tweets every day. You know, right,
1: right, yeah. So this was yeah, this was 2002. So I still um, vividly remember the last three or four months um, leaving the circus. And I was at that time. I had bought. It was so funny. I bought probably a hundred um, blank VHS tapes that were only 15 minutes long for my for my promo reels. And I was physically physically dubbing each VHS tape with my with my promo reel and my my exercise promo reel. And then packaging it with, with uh, promo pictures, headshots, and resumes, and physically sending them. Eight by them 10 to, photos. Print yeah.
0: out, you got to print out your resume. You got to yeah. cut that eight and a half by
1: 11 by, to eight by 10. Yep. Paste it to the back of your headshot. Yep. And, and physically, I, I remember it was 100 different packets that I sent out in three months physical packets to different uh, talent agents Just and carrying uh, Bringing them and all to the work. post office in yeah. yeah. the little yeah. bubble
0: wrap, yellow, the, the yellow, manila, yellow bubble rack uh, yeah. envelopes
1: yeah and, and it was it was just crazy because i i couldn't tell you how i even found a place that sold me a 115 minute um vhs tapes it was like special ordered but i could I, it was no internet so I, I had to have called somebody or asked somebody so um so yeah I, I really remember that and and a lot of times um it was it was like one of those things where you have to just, you send it out and you wait you know and you call them hey did you get it yeah i got it and they have to actually put it in the vcr and do it. Mm-hmm. so um that's that's what it was like when I was leaving the road. So it was still very, uh, like a very um, uh, non technological process. <laughs> you know, it was a very analog process.
0: I mean, right now, like for me, like uh, so if, in 2002, let's see here, I was still in college. Let's say uh, around 2008, I was managing a couple of punk bands. Um, and in 2008, my DIY self ability to be able to just make, uh, you know, be able to burn CDs with four songs on it, and print out jewel case, you know, print out sleeves to go inside jewel cases, or print out actual sleeves and stuff. Of course, it's on black or white printer because color printers were way too expensive. Like my DIY ability to make envelopes that had, you know, our e our electronic press kit on it to send out to venues and ad agency and stuff like that. I was well and far advanced in 2008 doing that, like just a few years earlier, the ability for you to actually dub VHS tapes was literally impossible. The only way you could do it at home was with thousands of dollars worth of equipment, or you'd have to go to a place and go here, make a hundred of these please, and hope that they did it right, and then pay them an exorbitant amount of money and then pick them up and then hope that all 100 of these VHS tapes are right. Otherwise you're sending it out and you could be sending out a tape, and you like. At least on a CD, I could throw it in my computer and in three seconds, know it's the right one. With a VHS, app, you have to physically put it in a machine and watch it. Like, who knows? You could be sending out someone's taped copy of ABC's reruns of Star Trek, The Next Generation, and they're like, what is this? Like, yeah. oh, yeah. that's so anxiety-intuition, had... thinking about <laughs> that, the amount of blind trust you have to have in yep. that promotional method. That's, uh people yeah, that's just crazy. don't understand that.
1: <laughs> I had a 19-inch uh, TV-VCR combo that was like the the hub and then i had three other um vhs or vcr's uh spliced into it so it was like i could record that one uh, on three of them at a time but even then it took me forever you know and yeah. i was just doing 15 minutes you know and
0: if there's a, one mistake one mm-hmm. mistake f- you got to start from the beginning
1: yeah i went through three master copies because they, they it snapped <laughs> and i'm like
0: not even a uh, snap like if you, if there's just a roll that goes like we all have the, like, the, the the filter that you put on your, your video thing that's like, oh, this looks like 80s VHS, and there's always that line goes down. If uh-huh. for one reason your VCR, that one time playing this tape, has that line going right down the, the, the thing, you're just like, fuck, stop, rewind, 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 rewind. <laughs> all right, stop, 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 stop. Play, record, 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 and hope that it doesn't happen again. I just, I'm saying that. I, we understand that. Like, I want other people to understand the effort you had to go into for things. Like, look, in this day and age, a lot of people will send the law, uh, like, you're submitting to, like, uh, uh, the amount of times that I've accidentally copied and pasted the wrong YouTube link into a festival submission, and I have to be mortified that it was like, you watch me watch this video on the YouTube now? No, not my comedy tape. Like, Again, that's an easy fix now. If something went wrong then, that's it. You're done. There's no way. There's no coming back from it. There's no fixing it. You know, they're not going to watch the tape and go, hey, I think you sent the wrong tape. We're really interested. Send us another. No, they're just like trash. Next, Yeah, literally throw it. Next. Circle circle following cabinet. So coming out of the circus, what was your effort to developing a solo act? Um, because you are not like, I'm sure you had some input in with the six years that you there's like, Hey, maybe we can try this new act or let me try this new stunt or Hey, there's this new gag, but you're coming out of there. You can't do the same things you were doing in that circus because you guys were groups or maybe there's some small things you can do, but you had to learn to develop a whole new act for a comedian. For me to build an hour worth of material to start doing corporate events takes years. I mean, I'm 12 years in the comedy and I do our corporate events occasionally, but I don't have an hour. I can fudge an hour. I have three hours worth of material. 30 of minute, 30 of it is clean. 45 a minute is for uh, 40, 45 minutes of it is acceptable for an audience. Ask me to do an hour is pushing it. You know, I know my limits. I can't imagine like, for you, the same thing, coming up with these these gags and these tricks and, and whatnot. How do you go about creating a solo act as a clown?
1: Yeah, so it was, um, I, I, I was lucky to uh, to really um, hone the skill side of the clowning uh, as far as juggling and balancing things on my nose and doing uh, doing things like that. So um, I had a pretty good uh, arsenal of tricks uh, that I could pull from, but I, I also learned... That just doing the tricks by themselves wasn't going to be enough. Like it, it it's a good it, it kind of even nowadays. Like like I juggle, I can juggle five balls, but like people are always like, oh, well, there are people that you know start with five now and they go all the way up to ten or whatever. And I'm like, for me, it's never like when I watch a juggler, and I'm a juggler, so like I I love the the technicality of it of he's he's juggling ten balls. Like like I know personally how long he must have practiced to get to that level. Um, but I also know that from the normal perspective of an audience member, there's no difference between five and 10. Like yeah. to them, they see five balls, they see 10, they don't know. They don't know how much harder it was to learn 10. They see it's more, but ultimately it, it, to them, it, there, there's a disconnect of you, you're juggling 10 balls. You're juggling 10 balls because you want to juggle 10 balls and you're doing it for other jugglers. You're not doing it for the audience. Yeah. So I
0: mean, five to 10, both are impossible. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so it's like, uh, so I stop at five and I'd rather learn to do funny things while I'm juggling three than to end with five ball juggling because it's five balls. Like, hey, this is me. I'm juggling five balls. Yes, it's impressive, but it's not funny. And it's, there's, there's almost less entertainment value from it than than there would be as if I could do a, a bunch of funny things with three, you know? So that's the mindset I had to take on was learning how to take what I could do and make it funny and and, and stretch it out and find the things inside of it to make it even funnier. Um, Because coming out, I probably had 15, 20 minutes of being able to juggle. But the hardest part for me, uh, I was pretty confident about that because in the circus, I had been doing my own solo stuff and I knew a lot of it would transcend. But the hardest part for me, and I didn't realize how hard it would be, was um, doing it out of makeup so when i decided to not be a clown anymore because when i left the circus um i was i was pretty clear with myself that i would only be a clown in another circus or if if somebody hired me specifically to be a clown and it was and it was where people would be expecting a clown because um the hardest thing for me to swallow and i think it's probably being that you know 17 year old douchebag from baltimore (laughs) that's always in the back of my mind is is um the stigma that clowns have, um, which I'm sure is a whole other podcast that we can talk about. But like when you go to a circus, you're expecting to see clowns. So if I'm I'm at a theme park, you might expect to see a clown. You might, you know, a character, this or that. But if, if you're going to a corporate event, you're not expecting to see a clown. Or if you're going to like a nightclub, you're not expecting to see a clown. So like to be booked in those venues as a clown, I felt like I'd just be asking for ridicule and asking to deal with those drunk douchebags that are like, Ooh, you know, so like I told myself that unless it's a venue that people are going to expecting to see a clown, I wouldn't work it. Um, and I, I never really did birthday parties either cause it just wasn't my thing. So I knew that if I was going to be able to take the skill set that I had and be able to monetize it and, and be able to move forward and just be able to do that, I would have to, to be able to do it with, without makeup. And the first time I ever did it, um, it was like this whole like I, I I never I mean I performed literally for you know millions of people over a a thirty year career now like uh, millions and and so like the, at the height I I was performing for probably like fifty thousand people in, in a in a festival like like literally like in the middle of all that so stage fright has never been an issue yeah. for me and it was like as soon as I took the makeup off I didn't have anything to hide behind and it There's was somewhere. instantly like holy crap, like I was dropping things and I was nervous and I was like sweating and it was just like, it was completely, it took me by complete surprise that um, psychologically I didn't have that barrier. So I, I would start putting sunglasses on at least, um, even if it was inside, because at least that was one thing that I could have to separate me from the audience, like like my makeup did. Um, so so it you was, had to learn to be yeah. Brian
0: on stage.
1: Yeah, you really I really did. It was a complete mind shift. Um, That's and, fascinating. Yeah. And, and I really didn't expect it. Like I was like, I booked this. It was like a, um, a grand opening for a bank of America and uh, they didn't want it as a clown. They just wanted like a juggler like to, to do walk around. And, and I was like, okay. So I, I got this, you know, this fun outfit. It was almost very clowny. I think it was actually at my clown pants at one point and had like a tank top with like suspenders and like, you know, I used to be like jacked. So I was like, you know, muscles and stuff like that. And I didn't, I didn't have any makeup and I was just like walking around juggling and stuff. And then I realized that, like, after about five minutes, people were bored of me just juggling, you know? It was like, oh, that guy's just walking around juggling. So it was like, I started to get self-conscious, and I started to, like, sweat and drop, and, like, and drop my clubs when I was trying to do a trick, and it was just, it was a mess, and I just realized, I was like, oh, my God, like, real self-conscious, and I'd never, like, at that point, I'd been performing for over six years. I'd never had that problem, you know? And
0: that's one of the things that, like, I now can see when you do, like, certain, th- like, act- going back to acting classes, why they make you do, do things like walk around like an animal for 20 minutes and be it, you know, don't do it jokingly. Be an actual giraffe walking around or, yeah. or why they make you do so many of these things that don't, same thing with improv, that don't seem like they help. What they do is they teach you to learn to not be embarrassed. Yeah. That way when you act in front of people, whether it's on a camera or on a stage, you can go big and you can do these things. You can be emotional and you have already learned to not be self-conscious. Yeah. Uh, and it's fascinating to hear that now that you're you're like, it is one thing when you're like a clown, you're dressed up and they're like, oh, whatever, clown. You're like, all right, they don't like clowns. Whatever, I don't care. Now there's no yeah. makeup. If they don't like what you're doing, it's like, oh, they don't like me. They don't like Brian. Yeah, right.
1: Uh, and there's that's the a... same
0: thing with stand-up where it's like if, you know, when, if if somebody doesn't laugh at my jokes, it's not that they don't think that uh, what I said was funny. It's they don't think I'm funny. Right. Because so much of humor is intrinsically tied to the person that you are like nobody has ever said oh i hate that guy he's such a jerk i wish he was dead but he's really funny nobody says that ever you know so it's in my world i understand that i've never had stage fright because i've been acting since a small kid i've always been a presence and a personality and i tell people when they're like oh what made you want to be a stand-up comedian i go i can't imagine not being a stand-up comedian what i'm doing on stage is the thing that i was doing at parties was the things i was doing in class in the hallways between classes in my everyday life. What I'm doing on stage is what I've always been doing. So for me to get on stage was never a problem. Right. The problem that I always have is being judged by my peers. Like yeah. there's still comedians here in Boston that I can't perform if I know they're in the audience because I know inside their head they're secretly judging me. Or, you know, depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. that's also <laughs> my problem too. But so yeah, that's, but it, it's but so it goes fascinating both to hear from you.
1: With that side, just yeah. to speak on that real quick. Still, yeah. do. That, that is also... Um one of the like 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 i said before i i've I've performed thousands of shows for millions of people uh-huh. the highlights are are amazing, but for me personally, the highlight of my uh performing career was when I got to do like a roast um it was a clown college reunion, and we would like roast each other and when I was picked to be a, a roaster um and I had never done stand up and uh, you know i I'm always good at like you know. Cutting people up and stuff, but um, I've never done it professionally, and I never really did took a serious stab at it. And to um, to when I when I did it, I didn't know I, they were going to pick me to close it, and because <laughs> um, it was literally the first time I'd ever done it. And when I did it, I crushed it, and I, I was so nervous because these were all the people that I, it was like my teachers from the circus. they were like clown college, you know, people that. That I'd worked with my, you know, all my peers. Like, and these were some of the biggest names in the in the industry. Like, Penn Gillette was there. Um, you know, Peter Patovski. Like, all these great names. And um, and I crushed it, man. Like, I, I, like, I, I put so much into it and like rehearsed it and everything like that. And it was, it was like the defining moment of my life. And nobody will have, nobody will ever see it except for that group of three hundred people that was there. You know, and it was like all my peers, and it meant so much more to me. Um like personally and and professionally than anything I'd ever done, you know I've been in movies, I've been on commercials i've I've done you know huge festivals i've I've done plenty of stuff in my life, but that moment was the pinnacle of my career as far as I'm concerned,
0: Wow, yeah, let's see that's all yeah. yeah, we all also always yeah. want the acceptance of our peers too, yeah, like you were saying, if you're juggling ten items, it's because you want other jugglers to go eh, yeah. ten items, you made yeah. it, yeah. yes, yeah, that's awesome to hear like, yeah. So, what was the process of creating an original act for yourself? Because, uh, and I'm not throwing shade. I've watched your, your you know, some of your corporate videos. By the way, I think we should update some of them. But oh
1: my
0: gosh, <laughs> why, 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 why fix what's not broken? Right? It some works, of them are still worse.
1: from like 2006. <laughs> but there's the things that I,
0: I, I see in like your act, and I've seen in other acts too. Like. There's a reason why I don't like most com- uh, magicians because so many of them do the same act verbatim that somebody else does. It's really hard to make new original, especially when you're learning magical tricks, magical, magic tricks and stuff like that. And the same thing with your performing with, with some performers like that. Like, uh, I'll, I'll tell you one of my most famous, favorite jugglers is a guy named Mark the Knife Faye, mm-hmm. F-A-J-E. And the reason I love him is because I he does things that I've never seen anyone else do. His big, huge act was also, he claims to be the world's most dangerous comedian. Uh, he's just a juggler. And he is banned in countries for juggling flaming chainsaws. There's a thing that you're never going to see. I don't know if I've ever actually seen him juggle flaming chainsaws, but he always talks about it. That's just yeah. a gimmick to him that, that works. But his, his big closing act is he balances a lawnmower on his chin mm-hmm. while audience members throw, throw heads of lettuce into mm-hmm. the thing. I was like, I've never seen that before. His jokes, his gags—like he does so many of these things. Like he puts kn- fixed knives into a bowling ball, sets it on fire, and kicks it from his foot and lands it on his head while having a scorpion in his pants. A lot of that is very over-the-top decadent sensationalism, but it's also—he just does things that I've never seen anyone else do. The amount of sword swallowing acts that I hear talk about, deep doing deep deep throating jokes—is like, all right, cool, yeah, we get it. Okay, give me something I haven't seen before. Yeah, but knowing the business, you're going to see things that like, uh, the the one thing that I saw was the, the four people that all sit and lean against mm-hmm. each other. That's a thing I've seen in plenty of other places. Yep. It's a standard. It's a thing you kind of have to do, you know, because yeah. like, the, you know, like, so I'm not throwing shade at you when no. you do that, but I'm curious as to how do you find the original things that are like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to do the standards. I'm going to do the classics, but I'm also going to do this Brian dangerous act that is me and only me does it
1: right so so basically it goes back to like what we were saying at the very beginning like everything's been done like that mm-hmm. that we we call it we call it in the circus we call it the buckets or the chairs um it was one of those things that you just knew was a good go-to if an emergency mm-hmm. say like an acrobat fell and they they would call on the clowns they play a certain they played 12th street rag and that's how we knew there was an emergency out on the floor. We'd have to stop what we were doing, grab whatever we could and go out and like divert attention. So um, a lot of times we would do that and we would pull like audience members and stuff like that. Um, hey everybody, right,
0: forget about what's going over there. Pay attention yeah. to this. Yeah, m- no, they're not dead anyway. Who, yeah. wants a, who, wa- who wants Who wants to help on a magic trick?
1: Yeah, it's very real. <laughs> that was very real. That happened. You, you you say it like candidly like that, but it is that is the exact <laughs> process that, that was going on. Because um, we would we'd have like high wire walkers that would fall and things like that and because it, it's live entertainment You have mm-hmm. to you have to have a plan in place So basically you, you take things that have already been done and you and you put a twist on them So for that like we would do it with those buckets instead of chairs because buckets can stack inside of each other They're easy to carry um, But what would make see like when I do it what makes it mine which doesn't even really make it mine because uh, I've done it with other friends that have pretty much created this part but since I did it with them and I, I, I added some of my own elements to it I would then take it and put it in my show and so even though he's doing it pretty much the same way I'm doing it the pretty much the same way their like verbiage is different or like some of the character parts are different um, but yeah I mean it's the same thing a lot of people do it so I'll do it I'll I'll, I'll um, bring people onto stage and I'll, I'll put them in different hats and at the end they look like the, the village people from the YMCA <laughs> and like, we'll get them to do the YMCA dance and then um, and then we'll sit them down and do the buckets as a, as a finale part. But like, um, for me, I'll, I'll really only do that if, if I have to kind of stretch. So say like if I have a 45 minute show or they want a 60 minute show, um, I'll do that. Cause it's the parts that, you know, are kind of played out and they are kind of done everywhere else, but it's like things that, you know, that you can do no problem. It's going to kill and, um, it's audience participation. So there's going to be time involved. So you're going to kill time as well. There's so many different aspects to it so um for the most part it, it's like you have tons of material that you know you can pull from if you need to pull from it so what what i do as far as when 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 i'm putting my show together it's like i know all of that stuff so it's like okay all that stuff's like canned material like i, I definitely can do that so i know if, if there's like a current um like nowadays especially like if something's trending like the song is trending or something like that we we'll try to like Use that as inspiration for one of the bits. So instead, like like when when Gangnam Style was was popular, like we added that into the show and we did like a funny audience participation part. So for me, it's really kind of like using what's what's kind of current and what's trending now, and kind of adding what I do to that. Um, and 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 that's kind of my my formula. But there are a lot of things that that I do that I've just been doing for twenty five years, and there, there definitely can be it can be updating, but like the amount of time it takes yeah. to like technically bring a trick from like a five ball to a six ball. People don't understand, like to add that six ball in and get good at it, it's going to take about six months, you know, yeah. of constant practice to be able to get it to, to be show ready. So it's much easier to take stuff that you already know and then just kind of tweak it than it is to pour six months into it. So like the guys that are like younger that don't have families that are still like traveling and doing their show like every single night and that have the whole entire day to do nothing but but practice. Those are the guys that are going to keep innovating. It's guys like me that have a family and that have, you know, a mortgage to pay and have bills to pay and like um, c- can do, you know, 20 to 30 shows a year instead of 300. Um, we're going to be the ones that are kind of, we, we know what it takes to entertain a crowd and like I can step on stage with nothing. I can step on there with with a chair. Uh, a rope and a baseball hat and i'll give you 25 minutes and it's going to be funny like i have that kind of confidence as compared to somebody that's coming up and they're like well i'm going to need five balls to juggle i'm going to need you know all these other things I'm like, to. I, I have this whole list and it's like I, i'm going to be able to take three things and make it funny and do 25 killer minutes no problem and i have that confidence and um the other guys are the ones they're they're going to pioneer things but they just don't have the time and invested in it yet so they're still the ones that are like practicing like madmen. men I, I, I kind of rambled, but like that, that's but no, you're the, right. Like
0: you, and you're right. Part of yeah. learning to get good at this is the innovativeness. Mm-hmm. Like you have to learn to do new things, not necessarily things that have never been done before, but new to you. Mm-hmm. And of course you always want to do them in new ways. And if you're a good performer, you're going to do it your way, a way that's personal to you. Like I, I always say the best comedians, every comedian has joke structure. Every joke has mm-hmm. structure. There's a setup, there's a punchline, and there's a tag. That is how jokes work. And everyone's like, "Yeah, no, but somebody so and so doesn't use joke format." Like, yeah, they do. They just hide it better than you do. That's right. why they're the greats. You know, like the, the 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 old cliche of, "Oh, every comedian has jokes about the airline, so there's nothing new to write about airlines." No, there is. From your own perspective, your own personality, your own thoughts. Hopefully your thoughts and your perspectives are original enough, and you can write like there's no things that are that haven't there's still ter- plenty of joke territory everywhere to go. You just have to learn what is going to be unique to you to do it.
1: Right.
0: And, unfo- and it's the same thing with all kinds of performance and art. I love when I wa- I love Penn and Teller, since you mentioned them. Uh, I love watching Fool Dust because what they do is they go, hey, you're doing this classic trick that mm-hmm. everybody knows how it's done, but you figured out a new way of doing it. Even right. though all the mechanics are the same, your presentation—that's
1: really different. what it is.
0: You know, yeah. like I'm so sick of hearing about storytelling, but you're they're, they're not wrong when we keep saying that. Like, you're telling a story; you have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, like you're—you—that's whatever your beginning is. You have to have a payoff at the end of it. That's what yeah. makes the tricks best. Like, okay, cool—you y- found my card, but if you can find yeah. my card in a fun, interesting, different way that made me forget that I was going to have to remember a card, hey. You just did something better than somebody else did, uh, and I'm. Just, it's very similar with you. You're like you're performing in a way like that. Life experience that you have as being a father, I'm sure that plays into like you said it earlier. When you mm-hmm. go back and talk, you're like, "Hey, everybody, here's my daughter Hannah. Go ask her questions. Go, hey, everybody, ask how well she did on her math test today." Like, yeah. I can't. I you know as a comedian, I can't go. Hey, everybody, I'm going to take a break real quick. Ask the sound guy um, how his day was. That that doesn't work in my world. Right. It works in your world and only works with you because you're one of the... F- um, how many performers have their daughter working sound for them? You know? <laughs> yeah. now, granted, any performer could just go uh, create a bit with the sound guy, but right. you created a personal bit between you, your daughter, and now the audience. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful to hear. Because um, I was going to ask you about how much at this point has fatherhood played into your career as a clown? And I'm obviously some.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, definitely, uh, a a lot. There was, uh, so, so when I, when I left Vegas and I, I, I'd gotten remarried and actually had kids and and moved to Myrtle beach, we moved to Myrtle beach to do, um, clown shows for, for, um, it was an area here called the pavilion, which was like a a Coney Island style theme park. Um, and my kids were real young, you know, so we would incorporate them into the gags not necessarily only my kids, but everybody had kids that that, in like, so we would like we would bring them up on stage. We would use them for different parts, and and like so, that part was awesome because they got to they got to be part of the show, or and they were always watching and things like that. But then as they get older, you know, and, and again we st- I stepped away from from being a clown and and just doing like my my Brian Dangerous show. Um, my my youngest daughter like really enjoyed it. So she was just like from the young from the from an early stage she would know my show, and she would actually be the one like. When I came off stage, she'd be like, "Well, you forgot to do this joke, and you forgot to do that joke, and you said this one at a different time." And I'm just like, "Holy crap!" Like she knew the show better than I did, so it, it was just a natural transition where she would be like, "Let me run your sound. I can I can do the sound for you." So literally, I got pictures of her when she was probably like six, and she's there with my iPhone, and she's like pressing the next button and pressing. And she was wait. She'd wait for the audience to laugh, and she knew the reactions, and she knew the timing, like. And so it, it was just amazing. So like. Um, and, of course, being being a father, it gives you more material. Like, automatically, it gives you things to pull off of in scenarios, especially, I'm, I'm sure, for like for your profession, like, like with comedy. Um,
0: I talk about like this real... a lot. Paul Verzi, a yeah. uh, comedian, uh, he's Bill, He's like Bill Burr's disciple. He said on this mm-hmm. podcast, we were talking about fathers. Like, he's like, being a father has only enriched my material. Now I'm doing a Paul Verzi uh, New York accent. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's only enriched my material because I have yeah. a real life to talk about. Whereas like right. twenty year olds, all they know is their dick and getting laid, so that's why other jokes is about getting is about their dicks. Right. I have a full, much more relatable material, and that's true. Living a li- like, especially in comedy, you have to live a life that's worth talking about. Right. And in your profession, you have to live a life that's worth bringing into your act.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh and 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 it's funny because uh, lately uh, I think. Also, it, half because I'm I'm getting older, I'm getting lazy, uh, so I, I want to shift from carrying so many props when I fly across the country to do a corporate event to like just maybe doing a little bit more comedy, a little more stand up in it. So I, I've been writing a lot more stand up, and uh, and it has been like life experiences and different things that I pull from, and 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 it's interesting you say that like the the younger comedians because I watch them too, like on on TikTok and stuff. I follow a lot of different comedians and. And to see what they're talking about, as opposed to you can tell, like the older worldly ones, um, and 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 the the jokes are just so much, like have so much more depth, and, and and they're funnier on a whole nother level. Like everybody loves a dick joke, like whatever, you know, you you know, it, it, you're always gonna get. But laughed, if you can but,
0: tell me a dick joke that's personal to you, eh, yeah,
1: <laughs> not your not, personal dick. That's not what not, I. <laughs> now we have comedy magic. So, um, yeah, that's definitely.
0: Well, it. since you brought it up, I'll just skip to the last question. Uh, so you mentioned earlier, you're 44, I'm 41. Mm-hmm. I can tell jokes for As long as I don't lose my voice, I can tell jokes forever. Yep. You know, Bob Hope was, uh, you know, famously performing through the uh, practice until the day he died. Mm-hmm. Joan Rivers was literally performing until the day she died. Um, and the only reason she died was a tragic, horrible mishap during surgery. And yep. uh, she'd still be performing right now if she was alive. But for you, I'm sure a lot of your act is less physical now than it was when 20 years ago. But there's still a lot of physicality in your act. Yeah. You're outside in the hot and the heat in the mid-Atlantic summers where it's, you know, 90 95 degrees and 90% humidity in May. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you have four more months of that. I'm sure that's weighing on you. So what's yeah. the future for Brian Dangerous? You uh, mentioned I, that you're starting to write a lot more stand-up. Will you be making that transition into maybe being a full-time stand-up? Will you yeah. go back to acting? Because I'm curious. You had a I didn't know you had scholarships for acting at the college. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you, dude, you could be the Chris... You understand you're the same... Chris Evans and I are the same age, right? Like, I think I'm I think I'm think two months older than Chris Evans, or he's two months older than me. Like, he was born in 81. I'm born in 81. You could fucking have been Captain America. Like, you know that, right? Like, if you don't go to clown college, and you went to acting school, you could have been in L.A. You could fucking have been Johnny Storm turned Captain America, Steve Rogers. I'm just saying... Man, you You, you got the blonde hair, blue eyes for it, bro. You had the physique. I don't want to make you regret any of your life decisions, (laughs) but I'm just saying you had the chops, you know, potentially had the, uh, you had the chops and I've worked with Chris Evans. All right. Worked. I, I did background on two things with him. Anyway,
1: you did some walking.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I did literally. Oh, I you should. I'm gonna send you a link to my acting reel. You're gonna fucking die. Laughing. I've seen it. I've <laughs> seen it. Yeah, it's, yes, it's hysterical.
1: Background for hire. That makes me. That made me laugh so hard when I saw it because it was like it's just perfect too because it's like that is what it's like, you know. Oh, that was. Uh, was funny.
0: But yeah, one of them is with Chris Evans and me just a blur in the
1: background. Yeah. I'm that blur. (laughs) So anyway, point being,
0: um, so what's the future? Are are you going to double down acting, stand up? Are you going to go into teaching? You have a plethora of knowledge. And you said earlier, your plan may have gone to just go to liberal arts school and come out as an acting teacher. Are you going to be a clown teacher? Have you given thought to these kinds of things?
1: well i mean there there's there's a lot of possibilities like like for me, the last like two years basically was i I've, I've kind of put everything on hold to just kind of get my my youngest daughter like through high school and and she's going to college now in a couple weeks so I'm sure um, also
0: everything's on hold for this dumb thing called um uh, uh, Covid nineteen
1: uh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, but I I mean, I actually performed like in South Carolina. They didn't really. (laughs) Oh, you mean the South didn't take (laughs) mask rules seriously? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. South Carolina was closed for like four weeks, and then it was like (laughs) Myrtle Beach, baby! Like, like literally, like it has been balls to the wall since. Like, I've I've performed pretty pretty much both years of COVID so far. But um, but what was crazy was I was actually performing in a resort down in Cancun when right before COVID became this the the mass pandemic. And it was like the sweet life, man. I was doing uh, five nights a week in and, and different resorts all over Cancun, doing my show, you know, living the, living the high life. And then everything's like, well, like in America, everything started closing. And then they were finally like, oh, we're going to start closing airports. So the, mm-hmm. the Mexican government was like, well, I guess we should probably start closing resorts. So it wasn't until they started closing resorts and they're like, all right, Brian, you got to go home. And so I was like, <laughs> it was like, man, I was like, you know, I had this whole, the, the contract to go, like come back for a month and then, go back there for another three months. It was just a sweet, sweet gig. And then all of a sudden, COVID, you know, but, um, but then I came here and I, 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 it was down for a little bit, but then I performed last year, I performed this year. So it hasn't been too bad for me, but I know a lot across, you know, uh, most of the world, a lot of my in-person friends, um, that performing has kind of took a standstill and they're starting to do it now. But I think for me, um, what, what I've been trying to wrap my brain around is especially, um, I love doing my solo show, um, but it is, but to do 45 minutes of high energy, um, running around like, like a madman, it, it, it takes a toll on you for sure. So, um, it, it's always been a lot, a lot more fun for me to work with a partner. So I have two, two different guys that I work with. Um, uh, my buddy Andrew up in Pennsylvania, um, where we have a, a duo act called the blue, T- the blue tie guys. Um, and it's, um, probably at least an hour and a half of material between the two of us. And then my buddy, Jim, uh, who is, he's currently doing his solo show um, traveling the world right now with tattoo conventions. So he's doing his half hour show for tattoo conventions. And I just got to see him up in Raleigh and he's got a great show. Um, But we have a show called uh, Jim and him. So both of those uh, shows are much easier on me physically because when the other person's doing their part, you get to take a break. Whereas if I'm doing my solo show, like I'm out there and I can't, like, hey, give me a, give me a second. I'm just gonna let me stop and uh, take my take my puff on my, you know like you know like that that's it's just not as professional so um so no, that's I think, the
0: juggling act that's yeah. the new juggling act you're juggling is like, all right everybody, this is a little puff and then like, you're now juggling your asthma inhale and taking puffs while doing it. there's the new act all right there you go you i'll, just I'll take it. a
1: three percent commission yeah. for that act right. that's, <laughs> that's you're gonna be able to put the rest of your uh, family through college that, with that <laughs> with the royalties from that one um but no so i think i'm gonna i'm to chat them up and uh, see if we can't get some uh, some corporate dates uh, between the, the three of us me, me rotating both both of them and I think that will ease my uh, my stress as far as like um, the physical part of it cuz I mean I'm in decent shape but it's still it is it's it's getting to be a part where like it, it makes it um, n- not as enjoyable for me mm-hmm. so and I really think I have quite a bit of a shelf life left and then also um, like I said I've been writing more more stand-up so The hard part for me is um, I know in my brain that if I write clean comedy, (laughs) that I'll be able to get booked a lot easier for the corporate side. But I am naturally a dirty guy, so it's (laughs) like, and the dirty stuff for me is always so much funnier. Um, So that's the kind of ebb and flow that I'm struggling with in my head. But um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I could see probably, you know, maybe a decade down the line doing just probably mostly stand-up, um, and, and then, you know, I, I'm always going to be able to juggle as long as I have my hands, I guess, so throwing, you know, maybe just some visual stuff in, just to, you know, it's kind of like little, some little extra stuff to, to make the audience happy, you know, put my hat on my head, my, on my nose or something, you know, balance some stuff, just to kind of set myself apart from, from everybody else that's that's doing things, but, you know, um, that, that stuff will always be there, but as far as, like, Running through the audience at full speed with a axe that's on fire and laying down with it, you know, probably, you know, that's got a shelf life of a couple more years, I think. So, that's, well, it's that's also like
0: it's not impressive to uh, light an axe and uh, on fire and balance it on your chin when the entire world is on fire.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're like, yeah, you know. That's I love the self uh, retrospective
0: that. Uh, that, that that you that you have. Like, there's so many performers that like. Self awareness is so important in the entertainment industry. Yeah, and it, it it's it's important to growth, but it's also at the same time dangerous to your mental health. Sometimes self over over self awareness, like there has to be a right amount of self awareness. Like you have to be self aware enough to know that what you're doing is good, what you're doing is bad, how to adjust it. The amount of comedians that I meet that come off stage and do five minutes of the fucking. And then Walker was like, "Hey, that went great. Like, did you not hear what happened? How can you think that that went great? Right? Were we on the same
1: stage? Yeah. Like,
0: I've all like, and I know what I'm not supposed to be doing, but you have to kind of do this. Is I can't compare my trajectory to other people's trajectory, but also at the same time, I have to realize that when the comedian went up before me, I have to understand the level of his laughs and if Mm -hmm. my laugh level of laughs." aren't equal or greater than, then I'm not doing as good of a performance as that person is. Right. And I have to figure out why tons of factors going into that. Is right. my act not tight enough? Was I not doing it right? And is this just not my audience? Yeah. Is this group of people just not going to be on board with me no matter what I do? Because that is a huge, like we don't talk about it enough. Like yeah. we mentioned it in acting. It's like, Hey, if you, if they wanted to hire a person with brown hair for the role and you have red hair, Yes, yeah. you have to just learn that's what it is. But outside of that, at the same time, when we really talk about phys- the, the physical look of things, like that is the thing that I've had to deal with as a comedian a lot is when I yeah. come on stage, I'm, I always talk about this that I physically represent all the things that we as a society were told to hate. I'm short, I have glasses, I'm bald, I'm overweight. These are, that's four strikes for four strikes. Where it's like, we've always, it's always okay to make fun of the short, fat, bald guy with glasses. Like, remember growing up, I was like, oh, four eyes, fatty, fatty, four by four. Can't fit through the kitchen door. Oh, you're short. You're, like, Tinder still today. If you're under 5'9", don't even swipe right. It's like, look, I was also a rock climbing instructor and I can mount you like a shipper on Everest. All right, lady who's 5'11". You don't intimidate me. Anyway, you're missing out. But what I'm saying is, is that so that always works at me. I'm very boisterous. I'm broad-shouldered. Even though I'm small, I take up space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, You can feel my presence coming into a room. Those are a lot of things that can turn people off. And it, my first few years of comedy, I had to learn to use those disadvantages to my advantage. Yeah. I had to learn to how to ease people into these things about me. And sometimes I still screw up. I come out with too much big energy, and they just go, Whoa, yeah. all right, let's... Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so like, the, the, those are things that you, some people, like, handsome people don't have to deal with that.
1: Like, well, well, there's the, that, uh,
0: who is it that, oh, uh, Greg Barron uh, and Cy Amundsen said on their podcast, uh, don't take bullshit from fuckers. By the way, it's okay to curse on my podcast. Uh, their podcast, don't take bullshit from fuckers. We're talking about uh, The Bachelor and all, so many of the ba- like women on The Bachelor are like, oh my God, he's so funny. And it's like, he hasn't said anything funny. Is it he's funny or is he 6'3"? And that's why I yeah. think he's funny.
1: Yeah. It's true. I, and and I, for me, it, it took a long time to realize this. But like you were saying, like you can you can tell people that stuff or if you're teaching them, you can you can tell them that that exists, but they're never going to get it until they have their time in. Mm-hmm. So like you have your time in and you've been working on your craft and you've been working in different um, venues and different areas uh, still pertaining to your craft. I've been putting the time in and you know we've got decades in. That kind of experience is going to generate a level of comfortability that you're not going to be able to teach. You just have to do it. So, mm-hmm. so you can tell people that to expect that, and um, they're still going to go in. Like you said, they they need to make those mistakes themselves to learn from them, uh, or else they're never going to reach that level of comfortability. Because I was telling you before, like I I could, I can comfortably go in front of an audience with a piece of rope a chair and a, and a baseball hat and give them 25 minutes and it's not because i'm the best in the world it's because i've reached such a level of comfortability with an audience and with people and and and, and what i am capable of doing i'm confident in my skills and i i can just go out there and do it and it, and it kind of translates like a bunch of different areas um i was doing a uh uh, a festival a couple years ago at a college campus in uh, in Atlanta, and it was raining. It was an outdoor festival, it was like a hot air balloon festival. It was pretty cool, um, but the majority of the performers were there. They were all extremely talented. Lots of like athletic and and um, uh, acrobatic ability, but they were all very new to the live performance. Like, like most of them had been practicing their whole lives, and this was either like their second or third paid gig but you know, it was pretty big and it, it, it happened to be raining really bad that day and a lot of the stages were outdoors um, and people were getting ready, like you know, like no covered um, part of the stage or anything like the stage is soaking wet and stuff like that. And these people are doing like hand-to-hand you know, balancing and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, they're like oh, all like, oh, this timid about, um, should we go out there? And I'm like, I went out, I was just like, absolutely not. Like mm-hmm. it, you have to know, you have to have a certain amount of shows behind you to know you can go out on that stage and look at it and be like, it's just not safe so that translates into so many different parts of your life so it's not just performing but it's also safety Mm -hmm. for like people that are doing things that you could risk your life i mean one false move and you know they could get dropped on their head and be paralyzed or killed so like i wasn't the stage manager i wasn't the festival organizer but i was there with enough knowledge to know that i've done a hundred festivals outside and that that area was not safe and if anybody wanted to have a problem with it they could come talk to me because i'm the one that told them not to do it and like that, that opinion was respected enough to know, like, it wasn't just, uh, I'm telling them you don't want to do it because I'm lazy or you, you know, you, it's raining or this, but it was like it was a safety issue. So, yeah. it, it th- that kind of experience translates into so many different parts of your life, and you just need to be okay, uh, you need to own it, and you need to kind of like uh, to, to show people what to expect in the, in the realm of entertainment. It's not just, um, because I've been doing it for so long. That you have to respect me it's because I know what I'm talking about you know like I, I'm not gonna let you put yourself in a bad light same thing with other comedians like you know it, I'm sure there's different instances that would you know lend themselves to your mm-hmm. your area too it's well, just from, mm-hmm. for my industry
0: it's we're not physical I can go stand out in the rain in front of people and talk I'm not gonna worry about losing my life but what I will right. worry about because my and I'm a huge advocate for mental health I've been mm-hmm. open throughout this talking about my own anxiety depression stuff like that mm-hmm. And that's where I have to be acutely aware of putting myself in situations that are losing situations. Example, open mics. I don't need, like, recently, uh, here's a great example. Recently I had an open mic, um, which is where comedians, like, for us, that's our workshop. You know, that's where we we have to go out Mm -hmm. and fail in front of people to know if our jokes are good or not. You can sit in, you know, a warehouse and practice your bits over and over and over to the perfect, go out and do them. Eh, Yeah, you don't have to fail in front of people the way that we do. Right. But for for me, I'm not gonna put myself in an open mic situation that's not gonna be advantageous to what I'm writing. So a great example of it was I showed up at seven o'clock for an open mic. I didn't go on stage. I was literally the last name pulled out of the bucket. First person there, last name pulled out of the bucket. It's eleven forty five at night. I've been here for four and a half hours, almost five hours. Right? And they call my name and I went, Nah, I'm good. I turned around and went, Who here hasn't gone up yet? And the guy raised his hands like Hey, Sean, put him up instead. Uh, are you sure? Like, yeah. Put this kid up. All right. And we're like, why are you going to want to go up? You've been here for five hours. Why don't you want to go? I was like, I'm not going to get anything out of this. There's no audience members left. Just a room full of comics, half of whom don't know me. Right. My mat- What I need out of my material is to know if it's funny or not. I need the energy of the crowd because I'm a stage writer. This is a losing situation for me. This is I'm going to walk away from this more depressed and ideology of suicide, not to be flippant about it, that that, I will have more ideologies of suicide walking out after doing my five minutes here than if I just leave now. This is not beneficial to my act and my mental health. I need to work jokes in front of audiences. There's no audience here, waste my time. This kid needs to learn how to stand on stage, needs to learn how to hold a microphone, needs to learn to move the mic stand out in front of him. He needs to learn to talk in front of people, both his peers and strangers this time is more beneficial to him than it's me. You know, and that's... Honestly, that right there is my... It's too dangerous to go out in the rain and perform yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, it and really that. is. Like, we don't talk about mental health enough. Mm-hmm. I'm very open in my act about mental health um, and a lot of my issues and stuff. And I'm a huge proponent for, for, for mental health. Um, just as you are, you have to be an advocate for physical health right. um, for, for stuff. So it's like, I completely understand that. that yeah. But again... The amount of people that go into these losing situations still, even, and then come yeah. out of it feeling worse than they went in, it's because they don't have the, the the self-awareness of, I need to do the things that are beneficial to me.
1: Yeah, and that's only going to come with, with the time put in and, and, and putting yourself in those situations and realizing it later, like, I shouldn't have put myself in that situation, it's not going to happen next time. And, and then there's, making sure it doesn't happen next time.
0: And there's too many podcasts about comedians talking about, oh, you need to, and I'm going to do my Bill Burr impression. i oh, you need to go out on those stages and fail to learn to get better. Like, no, you need to be in situations where you need to learn to get better. You don't yeah. need to, like, put your, like, the amount of people that I watch, like, the, the big cliche in the comedy industry is, like, you got to do as many open mics as possible. Mm, but do you? It's about, comedy is not about quantity, it's about the quality.
1: Yeah, it's not always a buckshot approach.
0: You can learn quality through quantity only if you're focusing on quality. Like the guys who go out, okay, cool, you did five open mics tonight, but you did the exact same four minutes, five different places, the same way four times at four different places in front of four different people, and nothing in your act changed, grew, or developed. You just did the same four minutes to silence five times, and now you're going to do the same four minutes to silence five different places tomorrow. Right. What did you and get out you of this, yeah. out of this? Uh, and then last and now that I'm done with my mental health rant, the last question I'm gonna uh, ask you about uh, is because this is particular to you and you only as a father and a clown. When you're at when you're taking Hannah to to the birthday party and the parents are all standing around or when you're standing in line at the you know, the, the, the you know, the the bus deep over what when you're standing out in the parking lot at the school waiting for the kids to come out and you talk to the other parents and they ask you what you do you tell him a clown how is that reaction like I, I gotta imagine you get some of the same questions over and over you get where he looks I'm sure they all want to have a good joke for you like what's the experience of being a father and a clown when it comes to other parents
1: yeah and it's it's kind of funny too like I I, I don't I don't really ever tell people I'm a clown. I tell them that I was a clown um, but now like I'll tell them that you know I'm a comedy juggler um, I think it's a little bit easier for me to uh, transition that into something a little bit more modern um, and doesn't have as much of a stigma. But uh, funny, <laughs> funny instance was um, the last like couple years. I've been going to all my daughter's games, all the, all I had is uh, basketball, volleyball, and soccer games, and you know, try to make everyone and like people in the stands. They see me and they're like, "Oh, okay. Like, hey, what, what what does your dad do? Like, you know, like it's just, all the time. He's like, oh, you know, he's a performer." well the her last year her senior year just just finished up and they they needed one more fundraiser uh for the end of the year to kind of help them for the senior trip over the top and she's like my dad will do a show and they're like what and they're like yeah he'll totally do a show for us and we can charge money at the door and, and raise money that way and, and the principal was like what does your dad do He's like no idea you know and so i actually did a show for her school and helped like a fundraiser and so that from that day on they all knew exactly what i did and uh, so it was. It was pretty cool. Like that. That they they got to see it because they they never really knew. You know, they just knew that I was always there. So it it was interesting to not only be able to tell them, but to show them and, and to like make it beneficial for them. So that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, because me as a comedian, I mean, I, I want to tell everyone I'm a comedian, but also at the same time, you get the same shit. Like when when I'm working a day job and they find out mm-hmm. somebody finds out I'm a comedian, every funny thing I say, they now go, oh. oh. Dennis is a comedian. People, he, he's he's here telling jokes, and it's like, yeah. no, I'm a comedian because I'm fucking funny. I'm not telling this joke right now because I'm a comedian. I am a comedian because this is what I can do, and I'm using my skill set in real life. Yep. And I get, I you know, there's times when I'm traveling, and I don't want to hear people ask me the same same question. I'm like, oh, you're a comedian, huh? They're like driving an Uber and go. So who's your top three favorite comedians? People you've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's I've picked people you have never heard of. So when I tell you, you don't ask me any more questions. All right. I said Bobcat Goldwave, so you went, mean the guy who yells a lot? Yes, because I yell a lot. Now stop asking questions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. My dad though, my dad will tilt tell still tell people that I'm a clown. Like like uh <laughs> the bug man will come in and, and I'll say something funny and then my dad'll be like, Oh, you know he's a clown, right? And I'm like, <laughs> God, I haven't been a clown in twenty years. Like, <laughs> like literally twenty years, I haven't been a clown. But he'll still, you know, oh yeah, he's a clown. Barnum Bailey Circus. You know? it just any, any chance to to tell people that I was a clown, he'll 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 do it for me.
0: Which so. and that's the thing. Like, this is why I kind of empathize some with what you do and with other people who do clowning acts because so many people mistake comedians for clowns. Like the amount of times, like I can do a clean act, but I can't do an act for kids. Yeah, like kids will sit. They'll find me enjoyable. They're not going to understand much of what I said. They're not going to walk away with nightmares because of what I said. But it's not for them. All right, I can do a balloon animal. That's about... I, I can make a I can make a, a, a poodle and a snake. I can give the kids a balloon animal jump rope. That's that's what I can... That's the extent of my, my ability to entertain yeah. children. <laughs> you know? But I'll entertain adults with clean humor.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so, all right, Brian, this has been a great talk. It was really great catching up. Yeah, Because... Um, we live in a world of social media now, which we could talk hours about on, on uh, just the entertainment alone, but we just have these perception of what other people's lives are, and sometimes we're like, oh, because we post a lot, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, so-and-so's life, Dennis, he's doing great because of this, that, and whatever, but then you also stop and think, and I was like, but I really don't know what's going on in their life, you right. know? And, and we sometimes forget, because we see social media posts all the time, that we're not actually really connecting with each other sometimes. Of course, some people, we still connect very, you know, very distinctly because of this, that, whatever. But, you know, we, we sometimes forget that we're not really having human conversations with people because we see them. It's out of... They're not out of mind. They're in sight. It's just right. what they're doing in their life is not quite always in mind. So this was good to catch up with you. And it was good to get yeah, the uh, truth about what was going on. Because every once in a while, like, you would hear somebody go, hey, we're going to the circus next week. Brian's in town. Are you going to go, too? It's like, no, I'm working or whatever. And it's like... You know, like, like I said, you know, like I have my memories of of being around you, yeah. But that's really all the all I have are the memories of what I felt in those moments, right? Um, and less about conversations, except for like, I think the one story you told about somebody doing a dry slip inside and coming out with his nipples uh, b- burned off and just wiping blood off of him, which is also a story I should not have told on, told to people right now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't ever remember that. <laughs> yeah, anyway, we, uh, anyway. We grew up in the jackass generation. So it, it, it is this what it is.
0: Wonderful talk. And it was so in-depth about what the life is of going to clown college and living on a clown train and then also having to go it out on your own. So I'm sure uh, i glad you were very open and honest about your conversation. It was really, really good to hear from you.
1: Yeah, man. It was good to connect with you again. Thanks for having me on.